Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the Restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Pinecker, and look who's in the house. Jackson Washburn, you were one of my early guests. I had maybe 150 subscribers, and the myth, the legend, Jackson Washburn, who's currently oh, oh my gosh. At, Moore, at the Harvard Divinity School, is back on the program. Welcome back, dude. Thanks so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. It's wonderful so just, being here. Thank you, and I appreciate it. Just want to remind you, folks, just a little housekeeping here. This month's book drawing is Rescuing the Restoration, The Lord Sets His Hands. And this is uh, actually came out of a, a out of the ashes of a project that uh, Brian Hales attempted to start, which is engaging uh, the, the Snufferite movement or the Restorationist movement in that group. And it's a, a series of ac uh, scholarly papers about that. So in the link in the description, just put in the book contest in the subject heading if you're inter interested in this month's book. So... Uh, last time I had you on, uh, we were just both kind of, you were about ready to embark on your journey. And this journey includes becoming a student at Harvard University Divinity School. And also shortly after you coming on my program, uh, you, you came out and I want to just briefly talk a little bit about that because that's kind of the elephant in the room, because this is your first interview since coming out as far as I know. Uh, and, uh, you come out as bisexual and and also you, um, but also part of that coming out process was also that you shared with people that you had received a letter from Elder Holland, and I don't know how much details you want to give, but you had mentioned that. So I just want to talk a little bit about one, what made you decide to come out, and and the way that you did it, and and how has your life been since coming out? Yeah, um, well, it, it's certainly been uh, a minute since um, that took place. Um, Basically, my first day at Harvard Divinity uh, was uh, when I kind of posted publicly about it. Um, but um, it's something I had been thinking of for a while um, that I had been uh, contemplating, uh, trying to find language for, uh, trying to, you know, really uh, land on a place where I felt comfortable with certain like labels or, or terms or things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, did come out as a bisexual, uh, shortly after starting, uh, at Harvard Divinity School and, uh, part of that process, um, I think what prompted me was, uh, just a lot of the public conversations that were taking place in the wake of, uh, Elder Holland's, uh, BYU address, um, uh, in, uh, it was like, you know, towards the end of summer of, of 2021 or, or, you know, uh, I think it was August, um, and uh, yeah, so I, um, as part of that kind of reflective process, I, I ended up writing uh, Elder Holland uh, a letter, sending it to him, um, and uh, um, to my surprise, receiving a response, which I, I found to be very gracious. Um, I appreciated that, that he responded to me. And, um, you know, not there, there wasn't uh, much that was said. Um, I, I haven't shared his response, uh, just out of respect, but uh, um, you know, so it wasn't necessarily lengthy, um, but uh, he um, expressed gratitude for, you know, what I had sent him and, and for sharing, you know, my own thoughts and experiences with him um, and uh, also kind of recognized uh, there seemed to be a recognition there that um, his uh, BYU uh, talk, you know, perhaps could have been worded differently or approached differently uh, and that he had been receiving feedback, you know, from different folks. So, um, anyways, I, I appreciated it. Uh, I thought it was a very kind gesture. Um, and uh, my the, the letter that I wrote him is accessible through my blog. 
Um, I, I, that's kind of what I used to, uh, to, you know, come out publicly was also sharing that letter publicly. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of marked my, the, the beginning of my uh, experience at Harvard Divinity. Um, I kind of, uh, uh, waited until I had moved to, to Massachusetts to, you know, kind of, uh, make that, uh, announcement. Um, but, uh, in terms of life since then, um, uh, you know, I, I can't think of really any downsides uh, to my experience or, or decision. Um, if anything, I've felt uh, uh, even a, a greater sense of, of comfort and peace in my own uh, spirituality and um, my own uh, kind of like social standing. Um, I, it hasn't negatively impacted any relationships that I'm aware of. Um, people were very supportive. Um, and, uh, within specific, like, uh, LDS contexts, um, you know, I've only been received well, um, and, uh, felt, I don't know, included. I haven't felt like I've been treated any differently. Um, so everything there has been, you know, very positive too. Um, so I, I've really appreciated that. I have a really, uh, good, uh, student, you know, singles ward that I attend, in uh, in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and uh, yeah, like it. Um, I don't know. I I I haven't really talked a whole lot publicly about it, just because um, honestly, um, I don't totally feel like there's there's much there to be said. Um, and, and you know, like yes, I did make an announcement, um, but uh, honestly, um, my life stayed you know relatively the same. Um, I haven't massively changed who I am or, or what I believe or, or, you know, anything like that. So, um, honestly, it just, I, I don't feel like it, it's often that relevant to <laughs> the things that I discuss mm -hmm. or, or talk about. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to, to talking about it, um, with anyone. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, it, at least in that sense, I, I certainly have friends who identify as LGBT and in terms of their own self-identity, their, uh, external presentation, things like that, um, uh, their sexual orientation, uh, occupies a much larger space in their life. Uh, and to me, um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still just dating. I'm still <laughs> Uh, just, you know, um, trying to have, you know, my own life experiences. And uh, it's, um, it hasn't really stirred things up too much. But yes, you know, I, I did have that experience. Um, and I did appreciate uh, Holland's response. And, and uh, I've definitely, you know, since then, there's still been growth, of course, um, it, it's not like my journey has been static by any means. Um, but, uh, you know, i I, I guess I just don't think of it as uh, one of the more remarkable things about myself, you know? So um, yeah, that's, you know, uh, if there's any reason why, you know, I, I don't discuss it a lot, it's uh, I, I guess I haven't necessarily felt prompted to, but uh, in, in the future, uh, if, if I ever do, or, or it feels relevant or it could be helpful to someone or, you know, things like that. Um, it's, it's certainly not a topic I'm, I'm averse to discussing either, you know, so I don't know, it's, it's yeah. kind of an interesting thing, you know, and, and it's a journey. So I, I still expect uh, change and growth and, and, uh, you know, just more, more, you know, uh, personal learning and, and, uh, we're all on, we're all on journeys, you know, so I just anticipate change over time. 
Yeah, so and folks, I, I want to thank Jackson for agreeing to come onto my program because our main emphasis of this episode is not about that. It's going to actually be about J uh, Jackson's journey over since the summer of 2021, starting at Divinity School, but also taking uh, a, a physical journey to various religious sites, including Christian and Restorationists and other groups, and his experiences with them as part of his journey. So we're going to actually do like a little slideshow. Uh, but before we get to that, I do want to kind of get back to what you just, we just talked about, because, of course, we both kind of had public coming outs because, of course, I went on Mormon Stories and talked about my sexuality, and I deliberately kept it to the end. So the very last episode, so it was on from Monday through Friday, and it was on the Friday episode after people had already consumed about 10 hours of content of me that I I, I laid, laid it out because I thought it was important because my sexuality does inform me, but it's not central to who I am. But it really was very difficult being raised in a high demand religion, evangelical Christianity with some fundamentalist overtones, right? And what they felt about it. And so mm -hmm. I felt like you and I had similar experiences in that regard. And uh, it's, a, it was a, it's a, just cool for us to be able to sit down and more importantly, both be comfortable in our own skin and can share this with the audience. But more importantly, for those of you who maybe are in the closet, um, you know, it you can you can do this, right? We we can have these conversations. I just want to make my audience feel comfortable about this. Now, not everybody agrees with being gay, whatever, don't care. Uh, the main thing is, is that we're having these important dialogues and conversations. And so thank you very much, Jackson. I'm gonna get over Yeah. This. Well, you know, you know, those those tensions, it it, it it doesn't always just come from folks who, you know, might say, you know, like they're against being gay or being bisexual or something, right? It can also come from folks who insist that uh, those those identities can't uh, successfully or or healthily uh, coexist, um, you know, alongside uh, uh, religious identities as well. You know, uh, you know, folks who might insist that you can't be Mormon and LGBT, you can't be Christian, you know, evangelical and LGBT or something like that, right? Um, so there's a lot of ways in which we try and draw boxes, you know, uh, around people and around ourselves. But, uh, um, yeah, that's, I guess that's one thing I've appreciated with, with my own journey is that, you know, a lot of times, whether it's through dialogue with other people or, or just in my own, uh, journey, um, a lot of those categories and boxes, uh, break down a little bit, right? Very true. And, you know, it's so interesting because I heard from people throughout the world when I when I was, I mean, letters, emails, and just, I mean, tons of people reached out. People who are gay or had gay children. I had breakfast the next day with a man who has a gay son who's a Mormon. And and so I, the reason why I waited to the very end was because I, I literally, there was a there was a Christian from the a Restorationist Church, the Church of Christ, uh, Protestant Restoration Church. And they said, mm -hmm. I watched Steve's interview this all this week. And I didn't think it was possible to be a Christian and a gay man changed my mind. And that was a beautiful moment for me uh, because that's how we got, that's why I deliberately left it to the end because I didn't want people to view me through a particular prism that I'm a gay man. No, I am a Christian man <laughs> who happens to be gay, right? And that's kind of how I, but my sexuality and my faith inform me. And more importantly, my faith informs me more than anything. It's central mm -hmm. to my identity, even though I was an atheist for 12 years, which is interesting. But the key yeah. thing is, is that, you know, we're able to have these conversations and it's, a, I think it's just, you know, we're on this journey, dude, and it's really cool. So I, I was there anything else, uh, put a bow on this, uh, anything else you want to say about sexuality or do you feel like we covered it pretty good? I'm, I, I'm, I'm good. Okay, we're yeah. gonna move on. That's great. That's awesome. So this is the thing. So like you had said, right as you are entering that you come out right around the time that you're entering into Harvard Divinity School. And this is what I want to talk about with you is because um, you 
started Harvard Divinity School. You're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and you're engaging others. I just want you to kind of give us an overview of what it's been like uh, attending Harvard Divinity School. Yeah, um, well, you know, I had certain expectations. I had been wanting to attend Harvard for, you know, a decade of my life and had been uh, working towards uh, what I felt was a very lofty goal um, in, in, you know, hoping to one day apply somehow. And um, yeah, you know, eventually I, I was able to get accepted and, uh, you know, my, my kind of greatest uh, hopes uh, were have since been exceeded um, in in virtually every capacity. Um, I've I've deeply enjoyed my time at, at Harvard Divinity School. Uh, I'll be graduating this May actually, so um, my my you know master's program is is almost finished. Uh, it's a two year program, and uh, since attending, I've I've had the chance to just uh, you know get to know and and uh, spend um, uh, frequent time with uh, some of the most uh, passionate, um, you know, uh, intelligent, um, uh, involved, uh, you know, people of faith or, or no faith who are attending the school with me. Um, perhaps they're moving in like a pastoral uh, or, or ministry direction. Uh, perhaps they are, you know, heading in a more scholarly route. Um, just folks from all different kinds of uh, religious, uh, spiritual, and, and irreligious backgrounds um, who are all mutually interested in religion and the many ways in which it touches and engages different dimensions of our lives, right? Um, and so what I've loved is just uh, the the camaraderie that I've felt. I've, I've loved learning about people's stories and and just getting to know them and, and learn about what they're studying, what they're, what they're passionate about. And um, uh, I, I'm not the only Latter-day Saint at Harvard Divinity either. In fact, uh, um, my cohort, um, uh, the, the group that I arrived with um, during my time, uh, Harvard Divinity School has had its largest uh, Latter-day Saint student population in its history. Um, uh, when I, a couple semesters I was there, um, we had uh, upwards of, of eight students uh, who were LDS and part of the program and that that would uh, represent uh, roughly three to four percent of the student population. Uh, there's there's several hundred folks at Harvard Divinity School, but um, you know we had a, a good handful of, of LDS students, um, and then uh, now we also um, since then the numbers have changed a little bit. You know some folks graduate, um, and uh, others have have joined the program. Uh, Thomas McConkie. Uh, who is known for his uh, kind of Latter-day Saint uh, Buddhist um, like uh, uh, dual identity and, and practice. Um, uh, he's, he's at Harvard Divinity as well now. Um, and uh, we have two staff members and then uh, a professor, uh, Dr. David Holland, the son of uh, Elder Holland, actually. Uh, I've been able to take several classes from him um, uh, during my application process to uh, HDS, um, uh, David was serving as the acting dean of, of the Divinity School. Um, he's since, uh, you know, stepped back into his regular uh, professor professorship. Um, but I've been able to take several classes from him. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just been incredible uh having the opportunity to study uh with some some truly amazing scholars uh folks who when i was doing my 
undergrad at Arizona State University, uh, we had kind of extended uh, modules, you know, in, in different uh, uh, courses where, you know, maybe a whole section would be de devoted to the work of, of this scholar who now I'm able to take classes, you know, like 12 person classes uh, directly from them uh, at the Divinity School. So it's, it's just been wonderful. Um, folks like uh, Dr. Diana Eck, uh, who was the founder of the Pluralism Program um, at, uh, at Harvard and has been uh, deeply involved in uh, promoting uh, interreligious dialogue, understanding and pluralistic values for decades now. Um, uh, there's also Dr. Catherine Breckis, um, who is uh, um, without exaggeration, uh, probably the uh, foremost scholar of American religion, uh, uh, certainly in the United States, if not the world. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Karen King, whose work with the uh, Nag Hammadi and, and various Gnostic texts in early Christianity has been, uh, you know, deeply um, impactful and, and uh, important to that field over the, the 20th century. Um, so anyways, just a, a number of different folks who are titans in their field, and, and it's just been wonderful to get to know them, to be able to study with them. Um, and uh, really feel like at Harvard Divinity uh, that there's a, a wonderful balance uh, in rigorous academic work, but also kind of like holistic student well-being. You know, uh, um, a lot of folks there, we're not just doing strictly academic work, um, although there's certainly students that are, like I mentioned, there's folks who are going in, in more of a ministry or counseling direction. So uh, anyways, you know, it uh, it is just, it strikes a really great balance of of, uh, of religious diversity, of, of kind of international diversity, um, of uh, diversity of, of interests. Um, out of the several hundred students there, very few of them, uh, if any, I would say are studying the exact same thing. You know, everyone has kind of their focuses, right? I'm doing history of Christianity, um, but uh, everyone has like, you know, specific sub-focuses, uh, you know, within those that are uh, typically very unique to themselves, you know, so we have folks studying the intersection of like Judaism and agriculture. I'm doing like Armenian Christianity, and I've ended up doing a decent amount of Mormon studies related uh, work there as well. Um, and um, yeah, you know, so just just a lot of uh, diverse interests, and it's wonderful to see all of those come together in the classroom um, to uh, to see the 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 conversations that just naturally, you know, organically take place, right? Uh, people will be sitting, you know, studying in the commons area, you strike up conversation with someone and, and they might be doing something completely different, right? They could be doing Islamic studies or, uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, be, you know, uh, uh, neck deep in uh, uh, like Tibetan Buddhist uh, texts or something like that, right? Um, but uh, everyone kind of has a story of what got them interested in religion, how they ended up at a divinity school, how they explain being at a divinity school to their extended family. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's, it's just a wonderful campus. Uh, and I felt, uh, you know, very enriched and, and supported on, uh, you know, spiritual, intellectual, social, you know, so many different levels. So well, it's been, it's been wonderful. 
Well, that's great. And I'm glad you're giving us this, this report. This is Jackson giving us his report of his experience at Harvard Divinity School. And one of the reasons I actually, throughout your, this period of year and a half, I've been like, hey, Jackson, you want to come on and talk about this? You want to talk about that? Because all you're doing, you're, you're telling very interesting things that are going on. And one of the things that most fascinated me is that you have actually been engaging a evangelical student there. And you guys have done, now you haven't completed it, but you've begun the process of reading through the Book of Mormon. I would love to hear what that experience has been like for you, but also maybe what kind of experience as Andrew has related to you about that journey that you both are on. Yeah, um, now this is something that, uh, you know, in this last semester, we weren't able to to visit much, uh, but definitely over the course of the summer, uh, uh, I, I was approached by my friend and uh, he, um, you know, after we had already had a number of different dialogues with each other about, uh, our religious upbringing, about uh, uh, our uh, study interests. Um, uh, he he hadn't, you know, uh, met very many Mormons before. Um, uh, he, he had known some, uh, but in terms of, you know, it, it's one thing to kind of know someone who identifies, you know, as a certain worldview. And it's another thing to uh, be able to kind of talk with someone who uh, doesn't just like identify with that worldview, but, you know, they they're informed enough that they can, you know, uh, 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 answer, you know, uh, complicated questions or, you know, they know the history well, right? That's a different experience. So, uh, you know, because both of us are interested in religion, you know, we're both equipped to uh, uh, kind of make our own experiences more accessible and understandable, uh, but also, you know, ask uh, some deeper questions about uh, each other's faith traditions. So, um, anyways, um, I think uh, I think this interest uh, started. Um, uh, this friend of mine, he does a, a good amount of work with the Hebrew Bible, um, and so he's not just uh, interested in uh, how the Hebrew Bible uh, or or the Bible in general uh, ends up uh, or might be received by Latter Day Saints, but you know is also interested in in how that has gone. Um, uh, about biblical reception history to Muslims or, or various other religious groups, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we just, uh, uh, I, I was able to show him uh, what the Book of Mormon looked like um, uh, and kind of explain what it was. Uh, you know, of course, he had heard about it. A lot of folks know the musical, uh, uh, you know, at least they've heard of the Broadway musical or they know that the, the Mormons have their Book of Mormons, right? Um, but, uh, in terms of reading it, uh, in terms of being familiar with its contents, uh, that was something that I was able to, to share with him. And, uh, I think, I think the main surprise, uh, at the beginning was, uh, how large the Book of Mormon is. Um, uh, I think, uh, uh to paraphrase, uh, Mark Twain, uh, he expected more of a pamphlet of Mormon, um, but, uh, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, for folks who aren't familiar with the Book of Mormon, uh, sometimes there can be uh, assumptions or perceptions that it's maybe a rule book for how to be Mormon, or it's like kind of a laundry list of, of theological ideas uh, espoused by Mormonism or something like that. Um, but uh, of course, it's, it's, it's not. Um, and I think we've talked a little bit in my last visit about uh, the ways in which um, Sometimes you'll encounter folks who say that more, you can't actually really find uh, too much Mormon theology in the Book of Mormon, right? That it that it uh, uh, comes off as as far more like Protestant than it would 
uh, contemporary LDS or something, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, you know, besides that and the fact that it's uh, it's a it's a narrative history, right? It's not um, uh, it's not something like uh, a collection of sayings or you know, um, it, it's not even more contemporary revelations, right? Like it, it situates itself uh, in the ancient world. Uh, it insists upon its own uh, kind of historical life. Um, and uh, it uh, engages in, in, you know, forms of world building to, to flesh out, you know, the, the kind of world and characters and, and uh, religious uh, um, stage that it's, that it's operating within, right? Um, so all of this uh, was, was fairly surprising to him, um, but uh, because both of us are definitely more busy during this, the school semester, um, we, we held off until summer to, uh, meet on a weekly basis and, uh, uh, you know, engage in, in readings with one another, uh, or at least discussions after our readings. Um, so I, I broke the Book of Mormon into, uh, maybe 12 or so different sections, um, and we just tackled it week by week. Uh, we weren't able to finish because, uh, uh he had some studies and, and travels, um, uh, in, Europe to attend to, um, and then I later went on a an extend an extended trip myself. Um, but uh, we were able to get um, at least halfway through Alma, I would say, uh, with uh, kind of the intentions of of hopefully you know uh, returning to those readings and conversation. Uh, but uh, yeah, it it left us with you know maybe a dozen to twenty chapters uh, of the Book of Mormon using the the. Latter-day Saint, uh, the LDS um, uh, kind of chapter breaks, um, uh, you know, so we, we tackled it by 20 or so chapters uh, each reading, um, and we would just have uh, uh, pretty solid conversations about, okay, you know, I, I would give like an overview of what's happening in the text, um, and, and fortunately as well, I was able to uh, share with him my Maxwell Institute study edition of the Book of Mormon, uh, as opposed to just kind of the standard uh, blue ones that are handed out by missionaries, you know, that have the double columns. Uh, so what's nice with the Maxwell Institute one is that um, it, it was put together by Grant Hardy, uh, uh, you know, a very significant scholar uh, uh, in the Book of Mormon. Um, and uh, he, um, it, the way that it's, that it's sectioned, it uh, mimics more contemporary Bible translations like the NRSV, or others that um, you know try to uh, retain and uh, exhibit uh, like poetry. You know, it, it tries to honor the the different uh, literary forms um, that are used within the text. So I I think it makes it much more readable. It has nice footnotes that kind of help explain things as well. It it's helpful in explaining you know who's the speaker, differentiating between speakers that might have the same name in the Book of Mormon. You know things like that. So. Uh, yeah, that's what we were able to use. And uh, the conversations were just uh, very rich, um, very generous. You know, um, uh, it wasn't uh, overly devotional in the sense of like, you know, um, because this was this was kind of prompted by by his interest. Right. Um, and so he wants to understand what's going on in the text. What is it? What purpose does it serve for Latter-day Saints? How does it relate to the Bible? Um, so the kinds of answers, uh, questions that we were seeking to answer were definitely more kind of uh, academic and neutral than they were uh, strictly like spiritual. 
Um, uh, though, you know, of course, we we got into questions like that, too, of, you know, what what does the Book of Mormon mean to my own, you know, uh, uh, religious life or my devotional practice? So, um, yeah, it uh, it was just a, a really great experience. And um, I've I've participated in, in similar uh, kinds of studies before where maybe I'm going through a a Baha'i uh, scripture, or maybe, um, uh, you know, I've attended Catholic or, or Jewish, uh, scripture study, uh, groups. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, of insight. There's a lot of, uh, generative, um, opportunity, uh, in sharing an experience like this with someone. And, um, you know, for folks that aren't LDS, you know, or, or really just, you know, going outside of Mormon specific texts here, right? Um, it's more than possible uh, to read a religious text, you know, uh, from a place of interest, from a place of, of uh, um, a desire to, to learn and understand it better, to understand kind of its, its native faith community better, right? Without, uh, you know, subscribing to perhaps the, the religious claims that it's making, or, you know, that doesn't make you uh, uh, any less, you know, whatever you identify as, right? Um, these conversations, I think, can be just very fruitful. And, uh, and I benefited from a number of insights that Andrew brought to the table, you know, pointing, pointing things out that, you know, um, uh, I, I know this has been the case, for instance, uh, with uh, 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 Christopher Thomas's uh, work, you know, the uh, Pentecostal reads the Book of Mormon, right? That I think it's it's uh, uh, Latter Day Saints need, you know, uh, uh, people of other faiths to read our scriptures, you know, and to offer their their charitable, you know, informed commentary on them because I think it's a, it's a very enriching process. It's helped me appreciate aspects of the text more, and uh, and I just love that kind of uh, the the friendship and the the relationships that that can stem from these kinds of positive experiences. I think that's really awesome, because in one sense, I was I was talking to you earlier. It's like in many ways we're kind of very, we have similar journeys because we're kind of engaging our own personal journeys, but also our engagement with other groups and stuff like that. And I wanna I wanna talk about this journey you've been on, but I have a few more questions. Uh, but but I do want to ask you one quick about Andrew. Did he make any kind of observation about the Book of Mormon that that because as an outsider maybe you wouldn't have seen? But or did he give you some kind of insight, something uh, that really gave you something to ponder or of uh, mm. uh, to to the book? Well, um, he definitely uh, you know being identifying as a Protestant himself, uh, uh, he was more equipped to be able to um, maybe say like. Uh, oh, this theology strikes me as more kind of, you know, representative of, of these certain kinds of Christians or, or something like that, right? Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he was able to provide kind of insightful commentary from his own experience. Uh, but I also just loved, um, you know, there's something really special, whether it's with maybe a movie, a TV show, a book, you know, whatever, uh, being able to see someone's first experience, you know, and, and reaction, you know, like live, live reaction to it. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, um, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of the stuff that I, that I just enjoyed the most was being able to kind of explain uh, some type of narrative arc or, you know, help tie the story together, you know, bring the pieces together and to just uh, to see his reaction of, you know, oh my gosh, like that's, that's actually very interesting or, um, 
yeah, just just reacting to it in in different ways. Um, I, I'm trying to think of uh, any specific examples. Well, you know, I think part of it, uh, um, uh, not that uh, he necessarily had any ex reactions that I thought were just super unique to himself, um, but uh, I, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, other Christians, uh, Protestants, or others. Um, you know, there, there are several things that might surprise them with the Book of Mormon. Uh, I already covered uh, a couple with Andrew, um, you know, the size of the Book of Mormon, uh, kind of the, the literary structuring of the Book of Mormon, right? Uh, that it's a narrative history. It's not uh, like a bunch of Psalms or it's not a rule book or, or anything like that. Um, and then, of course, another surprise is uh, um, would be kind of how relatable uh, you know, he felt it was, you know, he's reading it and, uh, um, uh, often reacted like, yeah, man, you know, like this is, this is inspiring or, you know, I could, I could get behind this or, you know, this is, this, this is, I have no problem with this, you know, I have no disagreement with this passage or, or this or that. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, so, you know, I, I always liked that. I feel like that, um, uh, that can be a tool for building bridges or, or in conversations, uh, with, uh, evangelicals or different Christians. Um, you know, a lot of times there's pretty intense disagreements about who Jesus is. There's disagreements about who God is about, you know, uh, a lot of just, uh, religious theological differences. It's easy to, to get bog bogged down on certain things like that, but, uh, there's definitely common ground here to, I think, uh, one is like establish, you know, and explore areas of similarity, but then use that as a, as a kind of hinge point to clarify, okay, but there's still these differences, you know, like, uh, like I can appreciate this passage of the Book of Mormon, but it's once, you know, uh, things develop in maybe this direction with the LDS view of the Godhead that I start getting, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, fully go with you on that or, or stuff like that. So, Anyways, um, I, I, I just really appreciated that kind of uh, live um, uh, example of uh, what these dialogues can look like and how they can be fruitful for everyone involved and in different ways, too, you know. Yeah, no, that's true. And of course, I want to remind folks, of course, my good friend, uh, Pastor Jeff McCullough of uh, Hello Saints is currently doing a series of reading through the Book of Mormon, uh, which is the audience is finding very fascinating. He's giving a lot of insights, which I think is important because, of course, and folks, I'm going to uh, I'm going to put at the end uh, uh, card uh, a, a link to Jackson and I's interview, the first one, because we also talk about some not so positive <coughs> engagements that you've had with evangelicals via James White, Jeff Burden of uh, Durban of uh, Apologia Church. And we'll just leave it at that. Uh, that, 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 that I just feel it's unfortunate that that's the face of side of evangelicalism that you were exposed to. But good thing is that you also are engaging people like myself, your friend Andrew, and others who actually want to have dialogue, which is really important. And of course, Interreligious dialogue is is very important because, of course, we live in a world that's uh, tearing, it's, it's being torn apart, right? Where everybody's in the us and them camps, you know, and often a lot of these divisions are caused by religions. So so that's the important role that we can play is to cross over these uh, these groups and actually have civil conversations and show that it can be done, but still, uh, you know, have your beliefs as well, which I think is important. Uh, man, dude, you have done so much at Harvard Divinity School. I'm looking at your list here and I'm like, man. We could we could spend another hour talking about Howard Howard Divinity School, but I want to talk about the road trip. But before we do that, was there anything else about your experience 
over the past past year and a half, um, and 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 I do later want to talk about your father as well. But uh, but uh, but maybe talk about anything else about Harvard Divinity before we go on Jackson's spiritual road trip. Yeah. Um, well, I uh, you know I've been able to to be involved with a, a couple different things at Harvard Divinity. I'm I'm the president of the Latter Day Saint Student Association there. Um, and uh, we've been able to do uh, uh, kind of several things together, uh, one of which was with the passing of the late uh, Kate Holbrook, um, uh, who was the uh, director of, of women's history um, at the church history department. Uh, unfortunately, she passed away this year, um, and uh, so we were able to, to put together a nice uh, kind of uh, memorial uh, tribute to her that was shared by Harvard Divinity School. Um, I was also earlier this year able to uh, attend the premiere of Under the Banner of Heaven uh, mm -hmm. when it was in Salt Lake City. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of buzz around that. Um, Lindsay Hansen Park was uh, incredibly generous and supportive and sending me the invite. And so I was able to attend that premiere and uh, uh, in the months to follow, uh, worked on a uh, piece that was uh, published through the Harvard Divinity Bulletin. Um, this uh, in in their uh, fall winter edition um, for 2022, um, and that piece it's called a uh, Mormonism, uh, the most uh, American religious other, um, uh, or let's see, I yes, the most American religious other, and um, basically, even though I started with more of a um, broad. Um, uh, or I started with more of a specific focus on Under the Banner of Heaven and, and just my reactions to it, both as a Latter-day Saint, but also as uh, someone who uh, studies uh, Mormon history. Um, uh, yeah, um, it started as, as just more of a specific focus on just that show. But then uh, as more and more, uh, you know, specials or series or shows were released to uh, pretty high profile uh, streaming platforms, uh, that had to do with uh, different Mormon topics. Um, uh, the editors of the bulletin and I uh, felt that uh, it would be best to, you know, uh, switch from uh, uh, from more of a specific to more of a broad uh, general focus of, okay, what is going on? You know, because there are a lot of TV shows, there's a lot of, you know, uh, media that's being released right now that uh, um, intersects with Mormonism or Mormon history in different ways. Uh, a lot of it isn't necessarily uh, uh, flattering, you could say. Uh, a lot of a focus on uh, true crime, uh, on exit narratives, um, uh, and, um, you know, just a, a common uh, kind of, uh, uh, like, motif or, or uh, way that uh, Mormons are being uh, largely represented in media um, is through the lens of, uh, you know, either being uh, adjacent to victims of or perpetrators of crime. And uh, so I, I kind of put that in historical context. I wanted to reflect on on kind of what's been dubbed the Mormon moment too, uh, in light of, uh, of the first Mormon moment. Uh, I mean, frankly, society, uh, American history is full of these Mormon moments, right? Uh, so uh, I, I think that the Mormon moment uh, from uh, Romney's uh, campaign, while it often points to the sense that somehow Mormonism is is breaking into the mainstream more successfully or is getting more 
either neutral or mainstream coverage. Um, it, uh, it's certainly not the first time that it's dominated the airwaves. It won't be the last, I think. Um, it continues to be something that uh, a lot of uh, folks, both in the United States and, and globally, are fascinated by, afraid of, weirded out by, um, you know, uh, supportive of. So uh, there's a lot of mixed reactions to it. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I just tried to talk about, you know, uh, what, what does this tell us about uh, the perception of Latter-day Saints and, and of Mormons generally uh, in the American psyche or within uh, Western pop culture. So um, yeah, I was able to, to publish that and that's uh, freely accessible online at the Harvard Divinity Bulletin uh, website. It's also on my blog. Um, so I was uh, very happy uh, to, to be involved with that as well. That's great. Yeah, and we'll make sure that there are links in the description for those of you who'd like to access uh, Jackson's blog and whatever else we talk about on today's show. And uh, yeah, very interesting. The the, the Mormon moment. It's, these are the two Mormon moments of the 21st century. Uh, there's yes, many exactly. More yep. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that's that's the, that's the most interesting thing is, of course, uh, you know, I've been engaging all these different groups within the restoration. In addition to having Dr. Jordan Cooper of uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Jordan of the Lutheran Church on, having Dr. Christopher Thomas on of the Pentecostal tradition. Um, I'm going to be having Catholic theologians coming on my program now. So in addition to uh, the Mormon uh, talks that I'm doing with all the different various restoration branches, I'm also bringing in Christians who have also engaged the restoration and, and, and in one sense been on a journey. Now, I have traveled. I've been to uh, to, to uh, um Nauvoo this year, this past year. I've been to Independence. I've been to Salt Lake City many times. So I've been on a bit of a pilgrimage, but my pilgrimage has been, mostly been set, set, set in front of a computer talking to people and also doing some stuff. But what you was so interesting is that you actually went on a physical pilgrimage, visiting various religious restoration-oriented, uh, Christian-oriented, other religious-oriented sites. And this is, of course, something that, that obviously is going to have an effect on your face. So I'd like for us to kind of talk, give a little preface here of what your mission was, what you wanted to accomplish, and and then and what you were trying to set out to do, and and then go from there. So, and I do have yeah. a quick question, I do have a quick question for you too. Was your visit with the Gailies of the Church of Jesus Christ part of this uh, trip that you were on, or is that a separate one? It was. It was. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. No, it was. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, actually, before before we break into this, I, I would yeah. like to preface it uh, with uh, uh, some of the experiences uh, with the passing of my father, too, because I think that's okay. important to okay. setting the stage. Sure. Um, but uh, so uh, one thing that that has happened uh, since um, I was last uh, uh, with Steve on on Mormon book reviews uh was uh my my father had been uh battling uh leukemia for about a year and uh unfortunately passed away um uh, almost a, a year ago um the the one year anniversary will be in a couple days um and so he he passed away last january um on uh, january 15th and i uh fortunately was able to be home with family for that um so he came home for uh you know to to be on hospice uh for a couple days before he passed um, but uh, that's also been a, an extremely formative experience uh, during my time at, at the Divinity School. And um, in fact, I, I joked um, uh, in delivering the, the eulogy at his uh, funeral, um, I made a joke that, uh, you know, there's probably not a better place I could go 
you know, after experiencing this, then a divinity school where about half the students are training to become pastors or counselors, uh, you know, therapists, etc. Um, so I, I, you know, as far as uh, receiving pastoral, you know, um, uh, care and support, um, it's that's also been a, a wonderful and and uh, very beneficial aspect of of my divinity school experience. But yeah, I mean, you know, the last year um, has definitely been uh, characterized uh, by grief and uh, my kind of you know uh, newfound journey and and uh, uh, um, experience processing that grief and and reflecting on on you know, uh, both the time that I was able to, to spend with my father, but also, um, uh, you know, some of the different, uh, uh, more, um, like emotional or, or heavy moments, you know, that continue to, to weigh on me. So, um, yeah, um, I, in light of that, uh, I made the decision, um, of course, Harvard, besides, you know, offering kind of, uh, just general social support, um, my professors were very understanding of my situation. Um, you know, if there was a, a time where um, I needed a, maybe a small extension on an assignment or something like that, they were more than willing to, to help me with it. So everyone was very affirming, very caring. Um, and that, that made the experience a lot more bearable. But I, I took a full course load. Uh, you know, I, I delivered his, uh, his eulogy, uh, you know, and attended the funeral. And then Within two days, uh, I was already back in Boston and starting my my new school week. Um, so it was a, it was a pretty quick uh, transition, you know. And I decided to just uh, dive fully into my schoolwork. Uh, I didn't take like a, a reduced course load or anything, um, and that turned out to be uh, uh, very helpful. Actually, you know, uh, occupying my time, keeping myself busy with things I'm passionate about, and and close to people who support me and, and, you know, that I can, uh, uh, feel lifted up by. Um, so, um, anyways, uh, you know, if, if circumstances had been different, it, it may have been the case that I would choose to pursue some type of like job or internship over the summer, uh, as part of just my, my academic, uh, track and experience, you know, as I, as I try to, uh, get ready, um, to eventually apply to PhD programs, um, I'm going to do a gap year after I graduate um, uh, before applying. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, so rather than than have what I would call like a productive summer, you know, in 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 uh, from a strictly like academic or professional uh, viewpoint, um, I felt like I needed uh, just time to process. You know, I needed I needed a, a, a couple months, you know, just to myself to uh, not feel too many, you know, external responsibilities or deadlines. Um, but instead just, uh, just, you know, continue to seek after forms of, uh, closure or healing. And it struck me early in the summer, uh, you know, I thought like, man, I need to, I need to get out, you know, I need to, I need to just go do something spontaneous. I need to, to go away. Um, like I, I want something that feels very generative and like life-giving, you know, I, I need something like that, uh, uh, that, um, can just be kind of a gift to myself or, or, you know, something that I can just do because I mean, it, 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 it had been a hard year, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, so I decided I had the idea, 
why not just go on like a really long road trip uh, and visit like a ton of religious sites and just literally lean into um, a lot of the things that I that I already regularly do in terms of uh, interreligious dialogue, uh, visiting different places of worship or communities, you know, getting to know folks. Like why, why, why not pursue something that felt scary and ambitious and kind of spontaneous and uh, see if I could make a whole vacation out of it. Um, now, what's funny is um, after deciding this, right, and in the process of trying to put this together, uh, I approached different friends and I'm like, I decided I'm giving myself a vacation. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to drop, you know, uh, to me, you know, what was a decent amount of money, uh, you know, something I, I wouldn't normally uh, do, especially during my, my kind of general busyness. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to just get away, you know, they're like, great, you know, where are you going? Are you going to the Bahamas? Are you going to, you know, to Mexico? Uh, you know, they have uh, kind of tropical locations in mind, you know, beaches, you know, cause I'm like, I need, time for myself you know like I need something that's going to just be uh uh restful and and uh you know that will speak to me and they're like oh my gosh you know the the Caribbean right oh no I'm going to Jackson County Missouri okay uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah yeah I I decided um because I I've grown up in Arizona born in Utah and so my encounter with restoration sites uh, has been pretty specific to just the American Southwest, you know, and, and, and west of the Rockies. Um, so I visited a lot of different places in Utah, of course, in my past. I've, I've been to some sites in Arizona, been to some in, in San Diego, for instance, uh, the Mormon Battalion Center, um, but nothing really back east. Um, and uh, had, had visited a couple different sites in Massachusetts and in, and in Salem uh and in boston um but uh you know nothing like the sacred grove or anything so what i used as the as the basic kind of skeleton for my trip uh were significant uh, sites in restoration history um uh so that kind of provided the foundation right uh that i would be uh kind of working with and i i went as far west as um as uh lincoln nebraska um uh, and then was able to to turn around. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I ended up visiting uh, both some uh, both uh, you know, very remarkable sites in Mormon history. But I can never just leave it just to to you know my own tradition. Um, I included sites from outside of uh, well um, different uh, restorationist groups, uh, Community of Christ, uh, Church of Jesus Christ, uh, um, fundamentalists. Uh, you know, different, different groups, uh, I was able to, you know, so there was like this intra faith dynamic, you know, from like an umbrella view of the restoration. But I also included a, a number of uh, different religious sites uh, from both Christian and non Christian uh, traditions, uh, Buddhists, uh, uh, you know, Hindus, uh, Muslims, uh, Jews, etc. Um, so all, all in all, I was on the road for uh, a little over two weeks, close to three weeks. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was just able uh, and, and completely by myself too. I was just driving um, and uh, just had a, a, an amazing time. And while I have a, a historical, 
you know, a, a kind of both like personally religious uh, and academic interest, you know, and, and yeah, invested interest in a number of these sites and these experiences. Um, I was also processing, you know, like this, this trip was a means of processing uh, the passing of, of my father. And I was able to bring a, a framed uh, photo of the two of us um, and would kind of, <laughs> Uh, maybe it sounds a little silly, you know, but I, I'd tuck it in, you know, the passenger seat, you know, with the seatbelt. And, and so in a sense, I, I felt like, you know, uh, I was with my dad or, you know, uh, these long stretches on the road where I was doing so much driving, uh, was able to reflect on, on him a lot. And, uh, uh, so the, the trip served as a kind of, of spiritual pilgrimage of sorts, um, where I felt like I, I honestly, I had expectations for what it was going to look like going into the trip. And there were a number of misadventures that took place. There were a number of random occurrences that, uh, you know, on when I was serving my mission in Armenia, I feel like this is a, a this can be a common experience for a number of folks who have served missions. Um, but uh, sometimes you have these experiences where it just feels like your path, like is, is orchestrated, you know, that there are certain things that happen certain um uh clashes schedule clashes or or things you have to uh try and resolve quickly uh that end up setting you on a course that you didn't expect but ended up being exactly what needed to happen you know that uh um for me you know i i take a providentialist lens to it and uh, and definitely see uh these occurrences and and just the way that these journeys can be shaped as as uh, uh ways that that you know, I feel God speaks to me or, or that I'm able to, to, uh, whether it's, you know, seeking closer closure for grief or stuff like that, um, that, uh, there's some powerful takeaways in some of these experiences. So, um, the last time I felt like <clears throat> the last time I, sorry, my voice is a little shot. I've been a little sick lately. <clears throat> um, but yeah, the last time I felt like, you know, just the perfect uh, arrangement of of events and personal experiences was was taking place, right? Where maybe I wasn't able to visit this one site, but this other opportunity opened up immediately. You know, um, that uh, it just felt like there was there was uh, some you know some some divine you know help in in that experience and process, and and I hadn't felt like that totally since my my mission um because it's one thing for things like this to maybe happen over time to appreciate the ways that life plays out long term but i mean this was this was you know sometimes in the very minute you know that i needed things to to happen and uh, so that that gave me some comfort on the road you know that i i both felt like this was a this was a trip with with god that i was taking but i also felt closer to my father too you know i i felt like he was uh, there were ways in which he was looking out for me or, or helping me along. And um, uh, yeah, I, I was surprised by some of the takeaways that I had on the trip, right? Um, and um, I'll have a slideshow where I can walk through some of the sites. Um, but uh, uh, just quickly, um, being raised LDS and being so familiar with the tradition, um, a number of these locations, Nauvoo, Kirtland, the Sacred Grove, etc. I I've been raised hearing about them. You know, I I know what they are. I know their stories. I know the significance that they hold. And and it's so interesting. I think with uh with the sacred past, 
that, um, uh, you know, a lot of folks who they, you know, they visit the Holy Land, right? And it's one thing to, uh, you know, read about Jesus being baptized, you know, by the Jordan River, um, or, or the River Jordan, I guess, um, the Jordan Rivers in Utah. Um, but, uh, and it's a whole another thing to actually be there, you know, by the waters, right? Um, or, you know, to be at any of these very significant sites where, uh, that are either traditionally ascribed to a certain figure or, you know, can be uh, located with, with historical confidence, right? And, and so it's just a very different experience. And, um, geez, in some ways, there, I want to, I want to phrase this right, um, because I've still been reflecting on it. But um, there were moments on the trip where I felt um, I, it, it was so perplexing to me, but I felt like this sense of almost disappointment. I felt like this sense of, of, uh, of like there were times where I felt discouraged, um, where I felt, uh, it felt like sometimes they tell you that it's a bad idea to meet your heroes, you know, um, uh, maybe certain folks, uh, they might idolize a celebrity and then their one, you know, their two minutes of meeting them, maybe, uh, for whatever reason, they're in a bad mood, you know, and it just totally, it totally taints your, your perception of them or, or you get to know someone on a more personal level and, and the things that you heard get contextualized more. So anyways, there, there were moments on the trip where uh, in visiting Nauvoo or, or at other times, and I think it was a mix of, uh, of also, you know, I'd been driving a lot. So I was feeling, uh, you know, uh, kind of fatigued, um, there's, uh, there was, you know, a lot of things I had to be responsible for, not just like my own uh, accommodations, but just, you know, keeping on my schedule because I had different appointments or meetings or, or visits lined up, and I didn't want to be late. Um, but uh, yeah, there were, there were times where, for instance, in visiting Nauvoo or some of these other sites where, uh, I guess, like, uh, I was struck in personally, like, I felt like I was following uh, the journey of, you know, the Latter-day Saint community over time. And they get pushed, you know, from one space, you know, to another, from one location to another. And whether it's in Kirtland, whether it's in Nauvoo, uh, or, or in certain other locations, uh, in, in uh, Independence, right? Um, uh, the Temple Lot or places like that, where uh, you had, I could just feel it, 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 it was like, I could feel the, the expectations, the, the ambitions, the, the hopes, you know, of the folks that were visiting that were, you know, really struggling to live in, in these places too, you know, working hard, impoverished, you know, things like that. And, uh, and reflecting on what, you know, that disappointment might've felt like, you know, of course, I, I'm sure I, I only caught, you know, a small glimpse, if anything. Um, but uh, uh, I guess, you know, there's just that expectation versus reality where I'm standing in Nauvoo, I'm looking around, and we have, you know, a number of the homes that are, you know, restored or preserved or replicated or things like that right you know we can still visit a number of these historical sites but it's certainly not the the bustling you know uh uh, uh newfound city of of up to twelve thousand folks you know on on the mississippi um where uh you know they had utopian ideals you know or or 
you know, this was this was the gathering place, right? And to just know and be familiar with what happened to make these experiences and these aspirations fall apart, you know, mm -hmm. and to then have to follow the saints, you know, in their journey westward. Um, I was tired. It had only been a couple weeks, you know, and I, I can't even imagine uh, what that felt like, you know, especially for some of those members that joined the church, you know, very early on and, you know, participated in Zion's camp. They, you know, they went to Missouri, they went to, you know, Ohio and Illinois and, and these different places. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I found myself surprised at times because I, I, I felt this internal question of like, was it worth it? You know, like, did we fail? Like it were these failures, you know? And like, what does it mean for, you know, the Nauvoo or Missouri or uh, Ohio experience uh, to be failures, you know, within uh, both Mormon self-identity and within their general history? Um, and uh, frankly, I, I, I kind of struggled with that because um, uh, it just felt like there is so much disappointment wrapped up in these historical sites. Um, I love visiting them. I, you know, many of them were beautiful. I, I'm deeply grateful for the preservation work, you know, uh, that's done by multiple traditions to to help maintain these sites and make them accessible to interested outsiders. Um, but uh, you know, I, I it made me reflect both on my personal journey and on the larger journey of my my faith tradition that I that I identify within. And there was a turning point. Um, in in this trip where at the very beginning um i started uh and i felt just like very enthusiastic very cheery <coughs> and um and as time went on you know i'm getting more tired i'm driving a lot i'm getting more fatigued and uh and once i got to omaha nebraska which is where winter quarters is mm -hmm. located there's the winter quarters temple there's a pioneer cemetery and uh, I was doing the tour for winter quarters um, at the, the LDS, like, you know, uh, visitor center there. And they had a certain room uh, that uh, I think was, uh, they called the memorial room, um, which uh, it's pretty quiet. It has a window that overlooks the, um, the winter quarters temple and the pioneer cemetery and uh, above the you know um kind of as part of the 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 decorative um uh, uh like architecture and design of this room um it it feels kind of like a temple like it it has a lot of the same like kind of trim and and things like that um and it's it's definitely quiet and more reverent it has some chairs um so it almost looks like maybe even a small chapel in some ways um but uh it has this uh this statue um, uh, that, um, uh, has multiple pioneers, you know, pulling a hand cart. It's very dramatic. They look fatigued. Uh, they look, you know, uh, they're not having a good time. And, um, I, I believe this, this statue is called the, the triumph at winter quarters. And, um, the tour guide explained that, um, uh, um, and, and I'm blanking on some of the finer details, you know, but, uh, in the process of, of putting the site together for winter quarters, you know, preserving these, um, you know, commissioning the statue to be made. Um, that at first, uh, I think the the intent was to name that statue 
someone had used the the term the tragedy at winter quarters to refer to it. And uh, there was a, a uh, general authority uh, at the time, uh, maybe it was President McKay or, or someone, it might have been earlier too. Um, so I, I, I'll have to go and double check. Um, but uh, they, they clarified that what happened at winter quarters wasn't, wasn't a tragedy, it was a triumph. And these were saints, you know, who were beleaguered, uh, they were, um, you know, fatigued, um, they had suffered losses, they had sacrificed so much, um, and, uh, you know, were collectively uh, still grieving the loss of not just their homes, but also Joseph Smith, uh, Hiram Smith, you know, that was a very traumatic blow, you know, for many early Latter-day Saints, and, you uh, uh, you know, they are, they are stuck in the frontier. They're in Nebraska. You know, this is the last stage before they make the full trek, you know, west to uh, the Salt Lake uh, Territory, um, uh, the Salt Lake Valley. And, um, and they persevered, you know. And there, you know, there's a number of ways uh, through which, you know, one can approach Mormon history. And, and, you know, certainly there was still deep tragedy, you know, that took place in many of these stories and experiences. Um, but I, I guess I, I just felt deeply moved in that room as I was looking out. Um, and the, the thing that spoke to me the most, actually, was as part of the, the trim uh, above uh, the statue and this window that overlooked the Pioneer Cemetery, um, uh, there is a, a, you know, a reference uh, from the New Testament that was, uh, that was carved um, that uh, um, I think is from the book of Luke uh, off the top of my head. It's, it's the, uh, you know, uh, oh, death, where is thy victory, you know, uh, or, or um, it, you know, the reference about, uh, you know, sting, the sting? Yeah. grave, where is thy victory, oh, death, where is thy sting, you know, right. so th that was, that was above. And um, I, I, of course, could not help but think about, you know, my own father's passing. Yeah. And, and I felt just so filled with a, uh, with a, like a, a sense of, of comfort and reassurance and I guess just hope, you know, mm -hmm. in the resurrection and in uh, uh, what, what Christ has done for us that, that allows us to um, not just uh, uh, get through uh, trials like loss or grief or pain in this life, uh, you know, with more support, but also um, just just knowing that, uh, um, you know, our, our loved ones aren't lost from us forever. Um, and that, uh, you know, I'll be I'll be reunited with uh, with my father. And, um, and, you know, I reflected on his personal grit and on the, the grit that was uh, exhibited by the pioneers as they passed through this this stage of their journey. And um, <clears throat> what's what's beautiful about the Pioneer Cemetery there is um, both in some of the the rock that has since been installed, uh, but also the trees uh, around. All of those were uh, brought in from the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, you have native trees from the Salt Lake Valley uh, that populate that that grave site now, and uh, also uh, the stone that was used is the same stone that the Salt Lake City Temple was cut from. And so this was a way of the church, you know, communicating that these saints might not have made it to Utah, but Utah, you know, eventually came to them, you know, that this is a, this is in some ways a small patch of, of, you know, the, the, the promised land that they were trying to, to reach. So I just found a lot of beauty in that. Um, and that really helped, I feel, 
like uh you know my my trip ended up being a spiritual and emotional roller coaster of sorts right like there were days where i felt just deep distress and other days where i felt uh just like you know elated and and you know so energetic and it's been it's been uh just wonderful to reflect on those experiences since and and the different uh, takeaways that i that i have from them um so anyways um i'm i'm more than happy to yeah. to move to some of the, yeah, the photos i yeah, I, no, I know that real, was a little long-winded but uh well that's fine and real quick you know this is the thing you know is i i kind of was following jackson on his journey as he was kind of posting it on facebook and talking about things and it's just kind of a it's been an interesting journey you've been on and uh, so, yeah, I kind of felt like I was traveling with you, with you as you were going about talking about these things as well. And so, yeah, why don't you uh, let's hop on the screen share there and uh, let's uh, you took some some uh, photos along your journey. You said I think you said you had thousands of photos. We, we cut it down yeah. to 25 that you're going to go over with the audience. And uh, mm -hmm. there's Jackson. Oh, a little hair's a little shorter, a little less beard. Yeah, there, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah. So, um yeah, like you mentioned, I, I took well over a thousand photos on this trip. Um, but so I'll only share some of them. And I, I have intentions of, of uh, talking more about this journey and this experience uh, elsewhere. Uh, because, you know, still, I've only, it's like every single site, you know, I have like some type of story I can tell, you know, or, or a reflection that I can give on how it informed both my trip and, and, you know, how I've thought about it since. Um, but uh, I, I just want to share a couple highlights uh, for your audience. Uh, this is me. This was my very first site that I visited in uh, Sharon, uh, Vermont. It's the Joseph Smith uh, Birthplace Memorial. Um, and uh, so the first day of my trip, I woke up bright and early, um, like it was probably 4.35 or something, because uh, I had a tight schedule to be on. And uh, I was able to, you know, pull up to the Birthplace Memorial a little, uh, a little under an hour before it officially opened, but the grounds were open. And so uh, the, the sun was just coming out. Um, it was, uh, it was bright. Um, the weather was nice because it hadn't, you know, uh, really heated up yet. Um, and so I just had, uh, uh, you know, some personal time to, uh, you know, just, I, I guess, think about, you know, my, my journey uh, so far and, and, you know, uh, meditate on that, that anticipation, but also, um, I don't know, I'd never been to this site before. Joseph Smith is a very important figure to me. Um, uh, he, he's definitely, I, I would say second to Jesus, you know, uh, been the most, the, the second most, uh, uh, impactful or influential, uh, religious figure in my own, uh, kind of, uh, faith and practice. Um, so, I really appreciated being able to see uh, his different sites. I've, I've interned with the Joseph Smith papers before. So, you know, his life is one of, uh, of deep interest myself. So anyways, was able to visit. That was great. Um, and as part of that site, um, uh, there's several other kind of Smith family, uh, or I guess not Smith family, uh, Mac family, you know, from Lucy's side, uh, different sites in that area too. Um, uh, Solomon, Mac, uh, Daniel, uh, Mac. Um, so those sites have been preserved as well. Um, you know, uh, there's not exactly a home that's still standing here, you know, but you can at least see the, the foundation. Um, and, uh, it was, it was neat to, to quickly, you know, review those. Um, my, you know, after, after visiting the Smith, uh, home, I was able to go to a white 
Whitehall, New York, and visit the uh, the home and barn, like farm and chapel of uh, William Miller, the founder oh, yeah. of the of the Millerite movement. I just saw uh, the Daniel chart in the back, and I'm like, what's yes, that? Yes. William Miller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Good eye, Steve. And um, I, uh, yeah, so I was able to visit, uh, you know, this William Miller site. He was very uh, influential in the formation of the Adventist uh, movement. Um, I had a really kind uh, tour guide there. Um, and and what was nice, too, is, you know, with uh, many of these sites, because I, I organized this in advance, you know, I was able to schedule appointments. And so I got a lot of just personal private tours with very interesting people. Uh, it probably helped that, uh, you know, I... I said that, you know, I was at Harvard Divinity School and, um, you know, folks, you know, knew what my interests were and, and were very enthusiastic to, to help me. But then at a number of uh, different sites to uh, give me lodging and, and you know, help, help uh, you know, uh, with accommodations and uh, just folks were insanely hospitable on this trip. It was it was just wonderful. Uh, I only had to stay at a hotel maybe two of the nights of my trip oh. because, so many places I had lined up from folks that I know on social media or that I was able to get connected with. So lots of kindness. I'm deeply grateful for it. Um, but yeah, this was, uh, this was William Miller's home. Uh, it was, uh, uh, fascinating to, to visit. Um, here's what the first Millerite chapel looks like as well. Uh, a, a picture, um, you know, I, I I'm sorry, I can't show, I, I mean, you know, I, I have so many more photos. I could spend so much time. Well, I, just, I, I just have a good question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is this is this, uh, is this chapel part of the Advent Christian Church, or is this a historic site that you're visiting? Um, I don't think it's. I don't think they hold a, a worship there anymore. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I think it might just be strictly a historical site now. Okay. Um, but uh, I could be wrong on that. Um, but uh, it, it, at least the impression that I got was that it it was more historical than than functional. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but right next to it, uh, this is also on the same property. Uh, this is called Ascension Rock. Uh -huh. And this is where a number of, uh, of followers of William Miller uh, in the 19th century, um, uh, as part of his uh, predictions and the predictions of others, uh, I don't think he strictly sanctioned uh, this one. Um, but uh, there were a number of folks who anticipated uh, that the second coming, that the rapture would take place uh, on the night of, I think it was like October 22nd or something like that, right? You know, so we're headed into the winter and uh, they stood out here, you know, at this place, you know, Ascension Rock yeah. uh, in their Ascension robes, white, white uh, robes as they called them, right? Yeah. White robes, yes. Uh, you know, it, very cold late at night and they anticipated, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being uh, raptured and, and uh, you know, welcoming the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, you know, for a lot of folks, uh, speaking of, of disappointment, right, you know, uh, there, there have been a number of episodes in, in religious history where maybe different groups have predictions for the end of the world or some significant event or something like that. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, these events might happen. Uh, not the end of the world necessarily, you know, but uh, uh, maybe something very uh, tr traumatic or very uh, important to their tradition takes place. At other times, you know, groups have to wrestle with something called religious disappointment, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you do when it feels like prophecy has failed or 
you know, expe expectations haven't been met or something like that. So um, while this episode can be viewed through the lens of religious disappointment, um, I found myself uh, uh, um, uh, moved by the the incredible faith that had to be, you know, present and on display, you know, for these folks to commit to something like that. Uh, and I was reminded of uh, in the Book of Mormon, uh, the experience of uh, some of the believers of Samuel the Lamanite, uh, who anticipated the signs that he had prophesied of, uh, you know, that would point to the birth of the Savior. Um, and uh, they ended up being in a situation where uh, they, uh, you know, is either these things would happen, or they'd be put to death, and they'd be severely persecuted, right? Um and they brought themselves and their families out to uh, wait for these uh, these signs to occur, you know, and they had the faith to wait for that. And so I guess I was moved by the faith to, you know, engage in some type of, you know, uh, significant action. And and that's that's something that was just so striking to me at so many different points of the trip. I visited communities that were just starting, you know, maybe small religious groups that they were very young. Others that were ancient, you know, and and yet find themselves in a place where they're, you know, significantly worried about the the survival of their tradition and of their community and others, you know, that uh, uh, maybe have died out altogether. Right. And I'm just visit like the Shakers, for instance. Um, technically, there's still uh, two, um, uh, I think, soon to be three Shakers left. But by and large, you know, um, shaker sites uh, uh, aren't uh, populated by practicing shakers anymore. Um, so uh, uh, to to visit these sites, you know, and be struck by the wrestles that different people of different religious, uh, you know, groups and, and identities have to engage in, you know, to sustain their communities, to grow them, you know, to uh, help get through trials. Um, it was very, it was very moving. So this is, you this know, is just Jackson, one of the impactful moments. Yeah. It reminds me because I got to go visit the house of David in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And, uh, this is a group that practiced, uh, celibacy and I'm at getting a tour with my mom. And there was a gentleman there who was the last member of the church. And he had said they were a millennial cult, uh, not cult or group sect, you know, and, uh, <laughs> The guy said that, well, I think I forget the female prophet's name. I want to say Purnell, but I think it's wrong. And she goes and says, uh, at the very at the second coming, you'll be able to fit all the members of our movement in a single phone booth. And I thought, well, man, I'm going to be in that phone booth with you because I have a lot of respect for you being <laughs> the last one. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah, no, it's um, it's it's fascinating to reflect on and uh, and to think of the you know, like I mentioned, these sites, they're not just uh, places that you visit, right? These, these are deeply connected with real people's experiences and with their hopes, their dreams, their disappointments, their heartaches, you know, and, uh, and I just felt uh, very moved by that at, at virtually every stage of my trip. Um, so, so after visiting uh, uh, the Millerites, um, Let's see. I was able to visit the Shakers. Oh, awesome. um, this is the first uh, Shaker colony um, in, uh, I think it's called Colony uh, New York. Um, but uh, uh, Mother Anne Lee, who was the kind of the founder and, and a very significant uh, early figure of the Shakers, um, this was the place that uh, she uh, helped establish this this Shaker colony, this this first Shaker community, and uh, and she died there uh, or. 
well, let's see. Maybe she she she's buried there at the very least. Um, and you know, like I said, I was able to visit her grave. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's. I I found myself in a lot of cemeteries on this trip, you know. And again, with this kind of theme of grief, you know, and and processing grief, um, you know, even though I wasn't visiting my father's grave, right? I felt I felt close to death in the sense of uh, you know, it was on my mind and it was something that I was wrestling with and 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 meditating on and um you know so in some ways right um like i i i felt like i had uh passages of of ecclesiastes you know uh passing through my mind you know about just uh it, it just struck me this this sense in which the things that we have now right um you know like mother ann lee for instance um she's in a cemetery with a number of her her peers in her community and, um, you know, this, the passing of time, right. Uh, there's just certain roles that all of us play in our own stories and in our own lives. Right. And I, I don't know, reflecting on that, uh, was just a really meaningful as well. So, you know, that's the what the shaker too, yeah. is that, you know, I did not realize she was that young. She was only 48 years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and of course your father was taking it a, a, a young age for him as well, as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was, uh, he was, he was 46. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, with these cemeteries, there's a lot, there's a lot of stories that you can learn in cemeteries, you know, that are, they're not necessarily communicated through someone, you know, telling you the story themselves. Right. Like you said, you know, you, you, you can look at uh, how old she was. Right. And think about, okay, what was that like, you know, or maybe you stumble upon a, uh, a, a grave marker, uh, a headstone that, belongs to an infant you know or you know you can see an infant buried with its parents or something like that right so uh there's just there there's so much richness and depth you know to the human experience that uh even if it wasn't you know um written out on a plaque or told to me by a tour guide right that is still being communicated to me through these sites and it was uh, that was just a wonderful experience too so this was this was uh, a next um another stop um, this was all day one, by the way. Um, oh, wow. Like we have, yeah, we haven't even we haven't even gotten through uh, the first day yet. Uh, that's how jam packed this trip was. Uh, don't worry, you know, I I, I abbreviated <laughs> the trip for you know our sake, you know, right. going through these photos. But uh, this first day especially was so uh, had so many different uh, interesting moments. Um, but this was one of them where I went to a uh, a Buddhist community in Amsterdam, New York. And I had just seen on Google Maps that this this community would be on my general route headed into my trip. You know, I'd be passing through the area. So why not? Yeah. Why not reach out to them? I had seen a picture of one of their temples on uh, on Google Maps and thought, you know, yeah, you know, I'd love to visit them. It turned into so much more than that, Steve, um, where uh, once I got there, um, we sit down, we chat for a little bit. I tell them about my trip, you know, and what my intentions are. And they say, well, you know, we have some stuff to show you, okay? You know, you're going <laughs> to love what you see next. I'm sure you've experienced that at times, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, in, in encountering the restoration where, right, you meet these folks and uh, uh, you're taking such an interest in them. And they just, they are enthusiastic in showing you who they are, yep. you know, and so many facets of, of their belief. And you have just often, sometimes immediately, you know, a level of access and trust that, uh it's remarkable, it's touching, it, you know, it's moving, and it ends up being a remarkable experience, right? 
that's uh, very unique. So anyways, after talking with them for a bit and visiting like a smaller uh, uh, temple that they had in this, this smaller city of uh, Amsterdam in upstate New York, um, uh, they asked if I wanted to visit their main compound. And I was like, oh my gosh, of course. So yeah. they have this, this hundred acre property um, that uh, is located pretty close to, um, to Amsterdam, New York. It's in a place called Arisville. Um, and they share this kind of mountain um, with uh, a significant Catholic site, uh, which is uh, the location of, of several um, what are called the North American martyrs. Okay. There's mm -hmm. only been a handful of martyr, like uh, canonized martyrs in Catholic history in the Western hemisphere and especially North America. And, and this is the site of, of uh, six of them, I believe three to six. Uh, and, and, and it was also the first place in New York history where the rosary was prayed. Oh. And um, so anyways, it's a very significant Catholic site, um, but this Buddhist community, they've been here for over a decade. Um, they identify as, as, uh, as esoteric Buddhists, Okay. Um, and so they, uh, there's some, uh, relationship with Tibetan Buddhism. They're coming from China. Um, uh, and there's this emphasis on passing on, uh, teachings that have been kept, uh, secret over the centuries, you know, passed down from master to master. Um, and they have, uh, uh, they believe that by practicing their, their specific Dharma, uh, their Buddhist uh, philosophy and and religious practices uh, that you know you're not just contributing to your spiritual well-being but also your your physical your health uh, as well um, and so they believe in in uh, faith healings uh, and um, because of that uh, um, very enthusiastically told me many testimonies and accounts of different members of their community that attested to, you know, uh, once I started practicing, you know, with this teacher, uh, their leader is uh, uh, called, they refer to him as the Holy Master. Um, uh, once they started practicing with him, once they started doing these, these Buddhist, uh, uh, this Buddhist Dharma, that they were able to heal, be healed of certain illnesses, they uh, maybe were able to get off, uh, they were able to break addictions, they were able to uh, wean off of certain medications. Um, so, you know, it is controversial, uh, in the sense that there's certain other, uh, religious groups, whether Christian or otherwise, you know, that might, uh, uh, emphasize their religious practice so much, you know, that, uh, um, sometimes they can downplay the importance of modern medicine or, right. uh, sometimes they might opt out of it altogether. Um, right. so there can be some, some controversial positions that are taken there, um no uh, i'm just but, really uh, curious it was yeah. fascinating because of course within the christian context we have christian scientists who kind of have a similar view of modern sure. medicine. but also i i'm just curious because now i know that the fallen gong uh group has a a place in new york this isn't tied with them at all is it or no 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 okay. no uh, th this is okay. a, this is a different group uh okay. but i definitely now that you said that i i want to look into that because uh you know if anything uh, this trip convinced me I need to do more trips like this uh, because this was this is such a great time. But so they bring me to this compound. Um, there's not a great cell reception there, which always turns into a funny part of the story whenever I, I visit, you know, any group that I'm unfamiliar with. You know, we just met and uh, and yet we're both, you know, uh, extending degrees of trust to each other. Right. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because I, I, I would hate for <laughs> 
not that I necessarily expect this, you know, but uh, um, uh, sometimes, you know, there, there's times where maybe I, I go into a new space, a new community, and I just don't know what's going to happen, you know, and what if there's an emergency and I need to uh, uh, get out of there fast or I need to, you know, call the authorities or something like that. But nothing, no, nothing uh, uh, terrible uh, occurred. Um, uh, this this site visit was so uh, fascinating. Um, but what's remarkable about this property, they are trying to prepare it. They're, they're essentially trying to establish a Buddhist utopia along oh. the Mohawk River. Okay. Um, and so they're trying to prepare the site to host several hundred uh, Buddhist practitioners coming in from China, from other parts. And so, yes, you know, you can see this archway. There's this staircase that leads up the mountainside, several thousand steps. Um, and so, you know, I get to this point and I start thinking like, oh, my gosh, am I still in New York? You know, am I suddenly I... in like Nepal or something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, um I, I continued to vault, to follow them, and we eventually got up to the mountain to their headquarters. Hmm. Um, this is a former Jesuit uh, center ah, um, that okay. uh, they that they bought um, uh, back in 2006, okay. and have since transformed it into uh, their Buddhist uh, headquarters uh, for their group. Um, and so you can see there's this uh, this this uh, kind of brown uh, brick and stone um, that that was uh, original to the building but then up top you can see you know some some oh. kind of pag some pagoda structures yeah, yeah. Uh, and and colors that look far more uh, similar to things you might encounter in yeah. China or yeah. uh, uh, Tibet but, or, yeah. or other places um, and in front uh, you can see, this statue of Jesus, oh, Jesus as well wow. that they've retained. Yeah. So they have multiple uh, buildings that they own, not just at this site, but also in the city of Amsterdam itself that were former churches that they've since transformed into Buddhist temples. Hmm. And uh, they, uh, their view of other religions is that other religions, uh, what, what uh, this group asks, you know, for interested persons, they, they say, you don't have to stop being a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, whatever, you know, if you want to worship with us, if you want to practice with us, that they believe their Buddhist practice and philosophy can be uh, successfully integrated and incorporated and shared with other religious worldviews and practices. Um, and uh, um, so they tried to exhibit that kind of openness themselves in the way that they transform these previous religious spaces. Um, uh, so there, some of the Catholic churches uh, uh, in the city that they have transformed continue to have on the ceiling or in different places, you know, they retain the murals of different saints, you know, or mm. certain icons or statues or things like that. So it mm. seems kind of syncretic, but to yeah. them, um, it, uh, it, um, it runs, you know, very consistently with uh, their outlook on other religions. Mm. And interestingly enough, the Holy Master... Um, uh, he, um, while he was from mainland uh, China uh, to begin with, um, he felt called to come and practice Buddhism and engage in Buddhist ministry uh, in the United States and then specifically in uh, upstate New York uh, through several visions or dreams that he claims to have had where Jesus Christ visited him and told him that this is where you need to go. That like it was once he... Uh, uh, visited the kind of Mohawk River area, Amsterdam, etc. 
that uh, he recognized it as a location that he claimed to see in one of his previous dreams where Jesus had shown him basically like, this is where you need to go. And so uh, in, uh, I ended up writing a, a, oh geez, it was like a 25 page single spaced research paper on this group uh, this semester. And, and for that, that section, I labeled it uh, the Buddhist led by Jesus. Oh, um, okay. Because, uh, you know, um, uh, they look very favorably upon Jesus and, and various other religious figures. Hmm. And uh, in shaping their own community, uh, Jesus has made uh, played an important role uh, to them. So they hmm. that, that's one reason why they they retain yeah, uh, this, okay. this statue here. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Um, there's a lot more to the story. Oh, I'm uh, sure. There's a lot more I'd like to to report on. Um, and I just felt like I, I walked into this fascinating case study that hasn't been uh, really given much attention by no, scholars. It's, it's relatively been, new. So there's very little yeah, scholarship. It's relatively new. Yeah. And, you know, with these utopian communities in yeah. the American history, a lot of them run into tensions, right? We see this mm -hmm. in Mormon history. We see this yep. in, in other groups too, where when certain religious groups move into an area very quickly, uh, they start getting involved in the local politics, the local, you know, civic sure. uh, issues, um, there can be tensions across religious lines, across social, you know, civic lines, and and that's all been experienced by this community too. And there's a lot more I'd like to say, uh, but uh, I'll I'll save it for now. Okay. Um, and uh, here's just a few more photos. This is what oh. that same headquarters looks like at the oh. top of the trees, you know, poking out yeah. from the mountain. So when you drive past it, uh, you look over, and suddenly there's this huge pagoda you know yeah. this huge temple complex that is like you know resting on the side of the mountain in a very just uh striking way um so anyways that's what the buddhist group looks like this is uh kind of what a nearby catholic site looks like where uh the first uh native american uh uh canonized uh saint uh uh died uh her name was saint uh kateri uh takawitha um, I think is how you pronounce her last name. Um, but she uh, was a very significant uh, uh, Native American convert to Catholicism. Um, and uh, this is a little of like what uh, those grounds look like. Um, uh, th this one on the left, this is uh, from the Shrine of the North American Martyrs, which is next to the Buddhist temple. But I mm -hmm. was able to make a small uh, uh, wooden uh, 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 cross um, they had a, a station where they had some some sticks uh, and some twine uh, and uh, you could make your own kind of pilgrimage cross. So I carried that with me the entirety of the trip. Um, the cross is a, a very important symbol to me, uh, uh, even as a latter day as a latter day saint. Um, and uh, and and if anything, I've been uh, uh, hoping to, you know, um, make the cross uh, a more popular and common and shared. Uh, symbol, you know, right. uh, with uh, uh, my religious peers, um, because there's there's some history there we could break into. But, yep. uh, uh, you know, it's 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 something that I'm not afraid of. I have no issue. In, and I take I take great confidence and I take a, a lot of hope. You know, I, I find, you know, my my Christian hope on the cross, you know, yep. that uh, because that, that's that's where Christ and, accomplished it. And it's not and it's not insignificant. This is also a Catholic shrine. 
Yeah. In yep. many ways, the cross was viewed as a Catholic symbol. That's kind of one of the reasons that the Catholic, the, the church kind of moved away from the cross a little bit, of course. Yep, yep. But we know there's a history of the cross. We have Brigham Young's wives. With, they have yep. crosses around their neck. So the cross was there at the beginning. And I often think like, hey, if anything, oh, yeah. I love as an evangelical Christian to see the cross reintegrated back into uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I wish you Godspeed on that endeavor, Jackson. Thank you so much. Well, you know, the thing is, too, um, like I, I don't even have to feel like I am trying to combine uh, my Mormon faith with, uh, you know, other expressions right. of Christianity to accomplish this. I just go to the Book of Mormon. Right. I go to what's in Restoration Scripture already. And the cross uh, uh, plays a, a prominent role in Mormon theology and in uh, Mormon sacred texts. So right. I don't even have to feel like I'm I'm doing much uh, nope. uh, crossing outside my own tradition uh, for that. So um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I appreciated that too, you know, and with, with all these different religious sites, or at least many of them, uh, um, like visiting the Buddhists, uh, at these Catholic sites, etc. um, you know, I was able to, to engage in, in shared forms of, of worship or, or spiritual contemplation with them. Right. So, you know, as I'm going through this Catholic site, you know, uh, I have a prayer on my heart or I'm spending time, you know, in their chapel or, or, you know, I am, uh, um, you know, uh, meditating with Buddhists uh, or things like that. And and that's all things that I, I feel are uh, completely compatible with my own Latter-day Saint faith and practice. Um, here's another one. Uh, this, this is St. Kateri's last words, mm. uh, Jesus, I love you. Wow. Um, and uh, another uh, statue of her. Um, uh, I passed through, um, uh, uh, what, what is it? Uh, the the National um, Monument for Women's Rights or the Women's Rights Memorial Park oh, okay. in, in um, oh gosh, uh, it's right next to Palmyra too. Oh, okay. um, uh, let's see. Oh, Seneca Falls. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. So Seneca Falls, this is the Wesleyan Chapel where the uh, uh, women's rights uh, charter, um, like an early iteration of, you know, so like Susan B. Anthony, um, uh, uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, other folks uh, gather here and they decide, you know what, like it's important that women have the right to vote. And, you know, they had all these articles of, uh, of you know, what women's rights are, uh, what they're going to be, you know, advocating for. And this is where it happened. Um, and so I loved being able to reflect on, on uh, the importance of, of women in religious history uh, women in, uh, political history, American history. Um, uh, so this was, you know, a, lo a lot of times when we think about some of these different political movements or, or social causes, you know, whether it's abolition, whether it's, uh, uh, women's suffrage, etc. Uh, we often think of them just in their kind of like, uh, socio-political context, right? But a lot of these movements were deeply religious, you know, deeply. and, Christian, and, deeply and if, mm -hmm. you know, even as they might be, uh, being argued for, pushed for, organized, you know, and sponsored by people of faith, women of faith, different faith communities. They also experience pushback, you know, from different faith communities too, you know. So religion plays this complicated role, you Absolutely. know, and, and it can be a force for liberation. It can be a force for oppression, right? And we see that playing out in many different uh, facets of, of uh, religious history. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time on that. Um, this is the Oneida community mansion. I was able to, oh. to visit Oneida as well. 
Right. Um, and so that was fascinating. Uh, that's an example uh, of a group that uh, is uh, no longer exists in, in any form. Uh, you know, granted, there is still an, uh, I, I believe there's still an Oneida uh, limited uh, corporation that's strictly just like a business and, right. and has like a historical background uh, with this community. And they and they um, practice but, complex marriage, right? Wasn't that the... Yes, yes, yes. At Oneida, they, they, they practice what they call the complex marriage, which uh, was a form of, uh, um, you know, the, these terms can be messy sometimes because they can be loaded with other connotations. You know, when I say free love, a lot of folks would mm -hmm. just think of, of the, uh, the sexual revolution right. and the hippies, you know, and yeah. Woodstock or something like that, you know. Um, but uh, uh, Oneida was, was organized in a way where, you know, uh, there were folks who were like married to like a primary partner. Mm -hmm. um, who they would raise like children with. Um, but the concept was that, uh, you know, if there's no marriage in heaven, then, you know, marriage doesn't actually mean, you know, what we think it does here on earth either. And, uh, in in trying to live as, uh, as early Christians might, or within that same spirit, uh, um, that, uh, you know, when we're holding all things in common, you know, right. that can include, uh, other others partners right um and uh, so there's a lot more to it than just mm -hmm. that um but uh uh yeah they had some some really uh, uh uh fascinating but also at the time scandalous uh arrangements uh at uh, the oneida community uh it's one of the most successful utopian uh projects in american history it, they lasted several decades um uh, but you know eventually like many utopias uh do they fall apart um, uh, there's problems that enter into the community. So, um, what, what's fascinating though, is, uh, once they got on into the second generation of folks within the Oneida community, you know, so individuals who had been born there and raised, uh, within that, that same, uh, group, um, that, uh, their form of rebellion, uh, against mm. their upbringing was monogamy. embracing monogamy, of you know, <laughs> and saying like, monogamy is this edgy radical thing that we're gonna try and do you know because we're we're not actually too into uh, the complex marriage stuff so it's it's funny you know yeah. uh uh there, there's a lot of stuff that that can be said about that but uh um yeah you know so that, that so that's a religious group that uh no longer practice it you know it's extinct and, you know uh, is, there, there's no practitioners but uh you know the site is still there and right. it's uh it's preserved and it was uh fascinating to uh to visit but it's fascinating too jackson as you're as we continue on this journey is of course this is kind of the milieu that joseph smith came out of right this was the world that he came that that, that was surrounding him and a lot of the influences so we, we kind of get a sense of the world that mormonism sprung out of as you're going on this sure, journey. sure sure yeah yeah and this is all still upstate new york too you yep. know uh seneca falls is just uh, literally, it's like 30 minutes, it might be 30 miles from Palmyra. Um, so uh, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that's, uh, that's very significant to me. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think about some of Joseph Smith's uh, contemporaries, his peers, you know, and the many ways across the American religious landscape of the time, you know, especially during the, uh, the, in the burned over district in the Second Great Awakening, Lots of folks are feeling uh, uh, disenfranchised with maybe the status quo, whether it's socially, religiously, et cetera, and they're trying new things. They're experimenting in many different ways. And um, uh, for the founder of the Oneida community, John Humphrey Noyce, 
Um, he was actually a divinity student at, at uh, Yale Divinity, I believe. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, I think this this just goes to show that uh, in terms of uh, divinity schools like Harvard or, or Yale, uh, that uh, they've been in the business of, uh, of churning out uh, some some real radical thinkers for a while, you know, and uh, this isn't just a just a, a liberal phase that that uh, occurred in the last couple decades or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, right. So anyways, I just think that that's kind of funny. Um, uh, you know, very quickly, um, uh, spiritualism, another example from the 19th century of a, of a religious movement uh, that comes out of this area. Um, so uh, there were two sisters, the Fox sisters, who um, uh, claimed to be able to communicate with spirits uh, through various means. And uh, through the course of their life, uh, were able to, um, uh, I mean, they, they created a movement that continues to this day. Uh, there's a lot of controversies that were involved with it about whether or not uh, they were uh, uh, sincere, whether or not they were, you know, um, honestly claiming to communicate with spirits. Um, and so there's, there's uh, definitely folks during their time and afterwards uh, that, uh, um, I don't know, uh, you know, would accuse them of being fraudulent or things like that. Um, but uh, in this building right here, uh, they have the preserved foundation of the original uh, birthplace uh, home of the Fox sisters. Uh, so, you know, people left uh, some offerings or, or different things there. Um, and it was just something I was able to quickly walk up to and, and you know, read some stuff. And, and I, I just thought that was an interesting uh, site I wanted to include. Um, moving into Palmyra, yeah, uh, this here. is uh, this yeah, is the yeah. thing I know. I'm drawn to this because, of course, this is Alvin and uh, his yeah. death and everything. But also, I noticed that it looks like I'm looking at a photograph of a young Jackson Washburn who's about to be baptized by his father. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I visited Palmyra, I wanted to visit the the grave of Alvin Smith um, because that was something that I uh, had reflected on a lot um, uh, in his passing, in my father's passing. Um, was uh, uh, feeling a, a greater sense of solidarity. Um, there's been a number of, of studies in uh, the ways in which uh, Alvin's uh, death uh, impacted Joseph Smith, his psyche, his journey, his trajectory, um, his theology, you know. Um, mm, yep. And uh, I think it's, it's um, very arguable to say that uh, Mormonism was in some ways, you could say, born out of one man's uh, wrestles with grief. Um, and, uh, you know, we have uh, uh, Samuel Brown, for instance, he uh, published, um, uh, um, uh, oh, what's it called? It's, it's the Mormon Conquest of Death uh, hmm. is, is the, the subtitle. Um, and uh, uh, basically, he, he really uh, goes into the ways in which Joseph Smith and early Latter-day Saints wrestled with death, like many of their contemporaries did, you know, this is pre-Civil War, and so death kind of occupied a different place, you know, in their society than it, than it, you know, would for us in terms of, like, uh, reg like, uh, normalized uh, social rituals and things like that, right, uh, of course, like, the embalming process looked differently, people died younger, you know, so this occupied, uh, I feel like a lot of times today we can be more distanced, from death in ways than they would have been on the frontier, you know, in Jacksonian America, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, you know, um, like, let's say someone randomly died, right? Well, you would have to kind of 
continue to have them, you know, maybe in your home, right? Like as you go and dig their grave, right? right. Or, you know, like I said, the embalming process was different. Uh, uh, these things uh, took, you know, there's a different time frame, right? So it wasn't just that someone passes away and you call the appropriate uh, authorities and, you know, someone from the, the morgue is able to come and, and you know, pick up the, the deceased uh, body. And, you know, then you don't see it for a week and, and until you're maybe at the funeral at like a viewing or something like that. No, it was, they, you know, it was the family that would, you know, be involved in the washing and the preparation. Right. And, you know, it was, it was far more intimate and proximal. So sure. um, anyways, um, yeah, uh, I think it's very clear the ways in which uh, Alvin's death was traumatizing to the entire Smith family, but uh, certainly Joseph. Um, we know from Mormon history that uh, uh, Alvin had been uh, identified as one of the uh, kind of, yep. um, a, as Joseph was needing to go visit the Hill Camorra yep. um, and, and uh, you know, um, uh, be visited by the angel, you know, visit the plates, etc. cetera. Um, Alvin was the one who was supposed to go with him. You know, he was the one that was supposed to, you know, retrieve the plates with, uh, with Joseph. And uh, that didn't happen. And so, uh, uh, and, and we also know with respect to baptisms for the dead or, or Joseph's uh, conception of the afterlife, the ways that that continued to be shaped over the course of his life. So anyways, yeah. it was very meaningful of me, uh, for me to be able to visit Alvin's uh, grave, to That's, reflect on that, yeah. um, and, and to think of, of just the complicated ways, you know, that um, I, I think one, even, you know, from a, from a naturalistic position, you know, maybe this is a more charitable way to view Mormonism. I'm not sure, but, uh, uh, you know, we know that many religions seek to provide folks with answers, you know, and with comfort and with a sense of clarity and purpose. Right. And, um, you know, um, even if you don't believe in those faith traditions yourself, right, whether this is a conscious effort on the part of the individuals or you know it's it uh, from their experience from their perspective it's something that they are participating in but they are not uh, constructing necessarily themselves right um there's moves that are made you know uh for folks to receive these answers and comfort and uh and for a lot of folks uh, and and still today uh, uh mormonism uh provides uh, a certain clarity of the afterlife or or certain comfort uh, at death, um, uh, you know, uh, that uh, a lot of folks feel like they need. So, um, yeah, you know, these are these are some of the early the early theological questions, you know, that uh, Joseph Smith was certainly wrestling with. You know, is what happened to Alvin? Right, mm -hmm. he was not baptized. Uh, yeah. He has, you know, Joseph has uh, preachers, you know, or, or religious uh, leaders, you know, kind of, or or cites them at least, you know, from his youth saying. Hey, sorry, you know, Alvin's in hell, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he was, he was absolutely Joseph's role model, right? Um, he was someone that Joseph looked up to. And, and uh, so anyways, it was, um, uh, it was a big turning point, I think, in restoration history, and continues to impact it in many different ways that sometimes aren't appreciated. But uh, I, I was able to visit his grave. And like I mentioned, that's the framed photo of my dad that I carried with me you know, whether on a backpack or uh, in the car with me. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I felt like that was a, a moment of, of healing for me in different ways. Beautiful. Um, 
we'll we'll continue to move forward. Sacred Grove um, was uh, really cool. I, I really appreciate what they've done there, even if uh, there's uh, conversations to be had about whether or not this is the same grove that Joseph would have realistically visited. There's right. different uh, candidates for the site, and and of course this area uh, has been transformed uh, in you know close to two centuries, you know, or or more than two centuries. Uh, um, let's see. Oh no, we're approaching. Yeah, the bicentennial. Um, so we we passed that, but um, yeah, um, it was it was very peaceful. Um, it started raining while I was in there too, so I actually had to skedaddle out of there uh, because uh, the there was thunder. Um, but uh, the tour there was uh, was really neat, and the rain continued as I went on to uh, the Hill Kimura, as it's traditionally identified. Mm -hmm. um, and then this picture to the, to the right, this is where the Hill Kimura pageant used to be used held, to, you know? Oh, yeah, so this yeah. is, yeah, this is, this is uh, what it used to look like as they've since uh, uh, tried to transform it and allow it to uh, be restored back to more of a natural state. Um, so I was never able to attend the Hill Kimura pageant um, but uh, from what I understand, this is this is where it, this is where the magic happened. So um, I had uh, I had another appointment to make after this too. So I literally had to sprint in the <laughs> rain up to the hill Kimura and then back down in the <laughs> rain so that I could make my appointment. And uh, um, it was so funny because uh, as I'm as I'm running down the hill, you know, at one point I slip, fall in the mud, you know, tumble a little bit. And I'm like, my goodness, you know, imagine, imagine carrying, you know, a bunch of plates, you plates, know, trying yeah. to do this or, or to, to, to fight off some thugs or, exactly. or, you know, I, I don't know. I, I kept having these, these little moments, you know, like that, where I'd be like, oh my gosh, maybe that's what it felt like. <laughs> uh, yeah, Joseph Smith was one I, strong dude. <laughs> yeah. That I just couldn't have predicted. So uh, that was funny. Um, oh, moving forward. Um, here's a oh, picture wow. from Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, which is uh, uh, where I was able to meet the 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 Gailies. Um, nicest family, but this is a a Russian Orthodox old believer church. Um, it's uh, just incredibly uh, beautiful. Um, I have so many more pictures. You know, it's like every single square foot of this church is covered in a different icon, a different image, mural, etc. Um, and I was able to sit down and and speak with their uh, priest there. And there's a lot of very interesting history there uh, that uh, is probably too lengthy for me to get into right now. Not um, only that, but, Jackson, uh, but there's a lot of theology going on on those paintings. Oh, yeah. Too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, he was so nice. After we talked for probably two hours, I was able to uh, just kind of, you know, uh, free roam inside the church and take pictures of what I wanted. Uh, you know, of course, I didn't go into the the sanctuary space, uh, uh, you know, towards the back, which is uh, only priests are able to to go back there. Um, but uh, a beautiful church, beautiful community, and very fascinating things there that uh, look out for future social media or blog posts uh, where I, I break into more of their story. Um, visited Kirtland, Ohio, was able to get a tour, uh, just the general tour there that they did, which um, uh, later when I met up with uh, Lachlan Mackay, uh, you know, one of the apostles of Community of Christ, uh, he was able to give me a tour of Nauvoo. But um, uh, he asked me how the tour in Kirtland went. And uh, honestly, um, uh, like in terms of the tour itself, I love the site, love the history, love Community of Christ, great people. 
Um, but uh, the tour guide, he he was not uh, he was not the best. Um, oh. uh, so um, a, a lot of a lot of the 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 staff you know volunteers that they have there, uh, a good number of them uh, are volunteers from Graceland uh, University uh, in uh, Iowa. And um, uh, so he was a, a student from Graceland. He was doing this as an internship. He wasn't pursuing, you know, a degree in history or anything like that, you know. So oh. we're 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 inside the Kirtland Temple, and uh, we're in kind of the the chapel area, right? And um, uh, the tour guide explains how um, uh, how you know I know a lot of you folks, you know, are coming from, you know, you are are LDS or maybe you are Community of Christ. I'm not any of that, you know, but I do just want to let you know that this is where the vision of Jesus happened, you know, and just kind of like motions and, and he's like, I don't know much about that. I don't know what's happening there, you know, but this is, this is where that would have taken place. Okay. And I'm, I'm just like, oh my gosh, uh, like it was just, it was just funny, you know, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize him or anything, right. um, but it was, you know, it was certainly more of a, a casual uh, tour. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate his work. Uh, he, he seemed a little tired. Uh, it was towards the end of the day. I think this was the, the last, uh, tour. Okay. Um, he was worn out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was probably worn out. Um, and you know, he's, you know, I, I can only imagine the questions that he gets on the regular, you know, where it's like some like, uh, restoration inside baseball. And, uh, he's like, I, I have no idea how to help you, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Kirtland Temple, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, and I'm deeply grateful to Community of Christ and the RLDS tradition for uh, the care and preservation yes. and, and uh, you know, heart and, uh, you know, uh, sustained uh, religious uh, uh, experiences and significance that, they, that they've put towards this site. One of my best days um, of my life was spending an afternoon there, so. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's good, and uh, I I got I think I got a a Philly cheesesteak uh, nearby shortly after that wasn't too bad, um, so uh, I I don't know that I have many uh, many other uh, positive things to say about Ohio because uh, I I ended up getting in a uh, not a car wreck but my car broke down when I was oh, no. passing back through Ohio so um, you know I'll have to go and redeem some of those experiences sure. uh, <laughs> no I'm kidding. Um, made it to illinois this is the baha'i Baha house of worship oh. um uh this is uh it's a very significant building it's beautiful i recommend uh looking up other pictures of it you know I, awesome. um, but i was able to visit that in in chicago um i was also able to visit the headquarters for the nation of islam oh, uh which okay. um not allowed into because uh i am the wrong uh skin skin tone um but uh uh uh, they're they're very protective, actually. Even though they're they're Muslim, uh, even uh, Muslims who uh, are white or or not uh, black uh, uh, are often not permitted in there. So uh, they're a much more closed off community. And I didn't I didn't spend much time with them because I didn't want to disturb them. I wanted to be respectful, but I also you know of course is still interested in in seeing their uh, their headquarters. Um, but uh, yeah, the Baha'i House of Worship, beautiful. Pictures aren't allowed on the inside, um, but it's it's just a beautiful uh, place for meditation, contemplation, and uh, their grounds are very beautiful as well. Here's a, a picture of me in Nauvoo. Jackson, Jackson. Um, yes, yes, yes. I've been looking for my Joseph Smith for President t-shirt everywhere. You ended up with it, didn't you? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm glad you spotted that. Uh, um, yes, that's my my Joseph Smith for President uh, T-shirt, which I wore in Nauvoo appropriately, and it got a chuckle out of uh, uh, Locke. And um, he was very kind, uh, gave me a private tour of, of the grounds and, and the different historic sites there. This is us right in front of uh, uh, the grave of, uh, of uh, Hiram and Joseph and Emma. Um, that's right there at the Joseph Smith house. So Lachlan was, uh, he was uh, just very uh, um, gracious and, uh, and accommodating. And we spent several hours just discussing Mormon history and nerding out about it together. And, uh, and I was able to, to ask him questions about, you know, how I, as a Latter-day Saint, could be a better bridge builder or mm. um, not necessarily ambassador, you know, but uh, how I can, you know, uh, field questions more effectively for members of my own faith tradition that might misunderstand Community of Christ or the RLDS tradition, you know, because while there's a lot of uh, progress, I think, that's been made in the last century, uh, in terms of the the relationship of the two institutions and and uh, the interactions of different members, right? Uh, there's been a lot of common ground on uh, on our shared history. Uh, at the same time, uh, there's there's misconceptions that that can run in both directions. So uh, he was able to give me some pointers for that that I really appreciated and uh, that I'll definitely be using in the future. And that actually came in handy at other points of my road trip. Um, especially once I was in uh, Missouri. Well, just um, quick, here, Jackson, you know, the yes, one yes. Thing, and of course, we're probably going to have to wrap this up in a little bit, but I wanted to say that Jackson, um, you know, and I have a privileged position because I also got to get a personal tour with Lachlan. Lachlan had keys to buildings that tourists yep. could not get into that I'm sure he let yep. you in as well. It's a yep, real privilege yep. that Jackson and I are able to do the things we're able to do. And and of course, all of you know, Lachlan McKay is direct descendant of Joseph Smith and of course came on my program to talk about the Joseph Smith photo. So let's yeah, continue. Yeah. yeah, and I was able to have a conversation with him about the Joseph Smith photo, you know, and this was this was in August. So it was right around the time that, uh, you know, it had been released. And, yeah. and uh, so I had some questions for him about that. And anyways, he, he's he's wonderful. I, I'm deeply grateful for his uh, his friendship and support over the years. Um, and, and I just want to include as a small side note, Lachlan was so kind to me when I returned home early from my mission uh, due to some some uh, health issues that came up in the field. Uh, literally within a week of coming home, Lachlan was among the individuals who uh, had reached out to me because I was looking for things to do in the summer, you know, either work or internship or something. And uh, he, he offered uh, the, you know, an opportunity to intern at uh, Nauvoo. Uh, to help take care of the sites there. And and I wasn't able to take them up on it. Uh, I eventually, I did the Joseph Smith papers instead, but uh, um, that's something that uh, he, he's he been very helpful with. So he, he's he's a wonderful person. And I'm, I, I really appreciate uh, both him and, and members of his uh, tradition, you know, as, as cousins in the restoration. Um, and and uh, we're, we're wrapping up slides too, you know, so this won't go on much longer, but uh, I want to highlight. I wish we had another things. hour, man. This is just, I'm really enjoying this, by the way. Oh, seriously, man. Like, uh, yeah, I have so many photos and so many stories I could tell, but this is, uh, uh, this is the Tri-Faith Center, which is in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and this is a revolutionary uh, site where not only is there an, this an interfaith organization called the Tri-Faith Initiative, um, but what makes it Tri-Faith is that at this larger site, um, uh, there is a synagogue, a mosque, and a Christian church 
uh, mm. that all share the same grounds with each other. They have different buildings, different places of worship, but they all uh, share like a common space with each other. They come together regularly for shared community events, and they specifically entered into this tri-faith initiative to demonstrate that people of different worldviews, you know, that bridges can be built, that we can have our communities close with one another and still retain our differences, you know, that we can respect our, our unique points, we can engage in common ground and across similarities, but we can also, you know, this isn't like morphing, you know, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity into like one religion, each different group, you know, they continue to have their own beliefs, their own worship, their practices, uh, etc. But it's the intentional community building, you know, they didn't just happen to end up next to each other, they chose to enter into this partnership with one another. And I think that's very beautiful. And uh, between all of these uh, places of worship, they actually have this kind of like uh, this kind of uh, aquatic riparian uh, kind of reserve area, you know, it's like a nature preserve. Um, and there's a bridge, a walking bridge that uh, it's pretty sizable. And they call it the Bridge of Abraham. Uh, hmm. And they they help maintain it. They have gardens that they help maintain together, you know, so I think it's it's just a very poignant symbol of of the kind of uh, of uh, friendship, you know, and and goodwill that can be extended across, you know, uh, these different uh, between these different faith traditions. Right. I think it's possible. And then also in Lincoln, Nebraska, I was able to visit uh, the Yazidi community. The Yazidis wow. are a yeah. uh uh, an immigrant uh, refugee group from the Middle East, uh, from uh, Iraq and Syria. And uh, they are an ancient faith, um, severely persecuted. Uh, there's not many of them. Um, uh, they're, they're definitely, you know, I would say under maybe a million, let's say. Um, I, I need to double check my numbers for that. But uh, they were, uh, they have been uh, largely driven out of their historic homelands in the Middle East. Um, due to uh, the conflicts and uh, extremist uh, persecution and violence um, uh, when uh, uh, the Islamic State, ISIS, was uh, kind of, you know, at its peak, uh, ISIS carried out uh, uh, ethnic cleansing against the Yazidis, many forced conversions, many kidnappings, uh, murders, you know, genocide, uh, um, you know, mass sexual assault. Uh, and, and so it's a very very tragic what their community has been through, but I was able to meet up with uh, representatives from that community. They have a community center in Lincoln, Nebraska. Lincoln is serving as the the Yazidi gathering spot in the United States. Hmm. And uh, um, so just by word of mouth, it's not like the government or any anyone decided, hey, we're going to send the Yazidis to Lincoln, Nebraska. It was once a few Yazidi families got there, you know, they tell their relatives, hey, it's safe to come. We have people here, you know, we're building community and word of mouth just spreads. And now uh, there's a good number of Yazidis that are living there. Uh, they have their own cemetery that they bought that I was able to to visit. Um, they have intentions to build a temple there. Um, this is a, um, uh, um, uh, uh, an image of, of one of their temples. Um, uh, so Anyways, you know, they had never met a Mormon before. They had never heard of a Mormon before. Right. And, uh, you know, as they're asking, they were, you know, similarly interested in my faith, right? And I tell them the ways in which, you know, like, well, one, what is this religious journey that I'm on, this road trip? Uh, mm -hmm. What are the sites that I visited? And, you know, what, why are they significant? And I'm able to explain early Latter-day Saints were driven out from place to place, you know, 
about the mix Missouri extermination order, about the uh, uh, attempted genocide or the violence, the, the religious conflict that was taking place. And they, had, they, they were completely shocked because uh, they had no idea that something like this could happen within the United States. You know, they thought that this was, you know, for them, this is a place of refuge, you know, of religious freedom and, and the ability to, you know, live peacefully and escape conflict. And so they were shocked to hear that it was ever an episode in American religious history that, you know, I wouldn't say, um, I, I would never claim that the suffering and experience of the Latter-day Saints uh, in the 19th century is, uh, you know, fully comparable to the, the legitimate genocide that the Yazidis have, have experienced, you know, but uh, there's similar themes there. Uh, there's, there's, you know, uh, places for commonality or shared experience, you know, or solidarity. And so, you know, I, I was then able to segue how, because of this background, uh, you know, the LDS Church today is very devoted to refugee causes. It's very devoted to uh, humanitarian work in the Middle East. And they had me pull up uh, videos from the church's website of the Relief Society, you know, and LDS charities in the Yazidi refugee camps, you know, sending them, you know, supplies and I had folks saying, oh my gosh, I recognize that camp. You know, I know people that are either there, have been there, or I recognize that myself. And so uh, some of these Yazidis, they were in tears, you know, because wow. they were grateful for the way, you know, because to them, they felt like no one knows about them. No one knows about their story. They're not Christian. They're not Jewish. They're not Muslim. They're their own, you know, faith tradition. And um, uh, so they were very moved, uh, you know, by, by that kind of solidarity. And uh, um, this is the last slide, actually, uh, you know, I was able to, you know, after Lincoln, wow. Nebraska, I started my return back home, but I still had to visit Missouri. Um, so visiting uh, Adam on uh was wonderful. Visiting uh, Independence uh, Headquarters for Community of Christ was wonderful. Uh, when I did the, uh, the, the tour at the Visitor Center for the LDS uh, that are right across the street from the temple lot, you know, uh, man, it was actually ended up being like pretty infuriating because uh, the tour guide, uh, he was older, an older gentleman. And so I'm sure there's a lot of traditional mindsets. There's, you know, certain narratives that have uh, been inherited or, you know, just continue to be perpetuated in LDS circles. But, you know, there's some really uh, uh, kind of offensive stuff that was said about community of Christ. Um, and that was just, you know, completely inaccurate. And I was able to, on the tour, you know, speak up and say, hey, actually, I was just with uh, an apostle from Community of Christ the other day. He was giving me a tour of Joseph Smith's home, you know, and these are, you know, some misconceptions that I just want to quickly clarify. And so I was glad to be able to do that, you know, but it did make me concerned, concerned still about the narratives that do persist, you know, the misconceptions that do persist. Um, but yeah, was able to visit, you know, many of the historic sites in, in, uh, in Missouri, uh, Carthage, uh, etc., or or not Carthage, uh, Liberty Jail, um, uh, and um, yeah. So you know it was it was fascinating and and uh, just very briefly too. Um, two hours south of uh, Independence, Missouri, yes. there's a sizable uh, Mormon fundamentalist community that doesn't uh, uh, necessarily um, affiliate with any specific right. um, uh, fundamentalist group. You know so. They have, they have individuals in this community that come from the LeBarons, that come from the Apostolic United Brethren, uh, that come from 
uh, Centennial Park or, or some of these different groups. And they've all come together to form this community uh, uh, south of Independence, where uh, they are, you know, there's a number of them who, uh, from what I understand, are practicing, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, the law of consecration in terms of like their economic means. They're building a temple there. Uh, and I was able to speak with them for a number of hours. You know, they shared with me family stories about their own stories. Uh, they shared with me, you know, uh, uh, aspects of their beliefs. Um, there's an ongoing uh, conversation happening within this community right now about whether or not to extend the priesthood to persons what? of African descent. Um, and so they asked me for my historical takes on the place of the priesthood ban in Mormon history. Where did it originate? You know, theologically, you know, is it supported? Uh, is it required? Right. Things like that. And so both from my experience with the Joseph Smith papers, but also my interest in Mormon history generally, I was able to share how, um, you know, it's it's my strong belief in kind of the academic consensus that uh, the priesthood ban originated with Brigham Young, that Joseph Smith, we clearly, you know, can can uh, demonstrate that he ordained black men to the priesthood in his lifetime and uh, that his views on racial integration uh, within a religious context or otherwise, uh, looked different from what Brigham Young's uh, would later materialize as and what would later become normative for the uh, restoration or, or from uh, for the LDS church for much of its history. So they were very kind. Like I mentioned, I was able to visit their temple um, and uh, it's, it's very beautiful. Uh, I can't, you know, uh, share any photos of that. Um, but uh, they were very gracious and it. It was another one of those unexpected mm. uh, kind of encounters on my trip that I didn't know how things would go heading into it. Um, I didn't know what kind of opportunities would come up. And then it ended up being best case scenario. And uh, they were just so kind. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. Well, why don't you exit out of screen share? And let's yep. wrap this up because I thought, first of all, what a great trip that you were able to go on and to have the privilege to go into a temple that's going to be for uh, fundamentalists and that is yeah. a very interesting group i was just talking to benjamin schaefer the other day and he helped uh, he came from uh utah to help uh, with the baptismal font to do work on it so you have different groups yeah. of people from the fundamentalist groups and apparently he tells me there's actually even pentecostals involved in this on a, as well which is fascinating to me um mm. And so, uh, so it's a very interesting thing that's going on there. And I don't know a whole lot, but it's fascinating stuff. But, you know, that's the thing, Jackson, is that when you go on a journey, and God told me when I did my program, before I started my program, God, do you know what God told me? He said, don't make any plans. That's what he told me. <laughs> and so the key thing is that yeah, you can make plans. Maybe you can have an outline, but you got to let him fill in the story. And that yeah. sounds to me as though that as you're on your journey with you, with your father in one sense, along with you the whole way. Uh, perhaps you had re received some healing from this journey, learned a lot yeah. about yourself and learned about, about other people. Um, how would you summarize this journey that you were on and, and how, how maybe it's helped you spiritually? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was, uh, it was, so this um, visiting the fundamentalist community was actually one of the last sites that I visited on my trip. It may, it may have been kind of the last religious space that I was in. Um, and honestly, when I reflect on the trip, you know, up to that point, um, it felt like in some ways it was, uh, it kind of mirrored a kind of temple experience for me. 
uh, or a lot of, I had a lot of the themes and motifs from the LDS temple experience, you know, coming to mind. Um, but, uh, um, you know, at so many of these locations, it was, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, there's disappointment that's wrapped up into them. There's a lot of sacrifice wrapped up into them. There's mm -hmm. a lot of success and triumph wrapped yeah. up into them. And uh, so for me, it's like I, I started this journey in this kind of like innocent state that I didn't know, you know, where things would go. You know, I'm super enthusiastic. I'm gung-ho. This is going great. And then, oh, lo and behold, I find myself, you know, in the wilderness. You know, I'm kicked out mm -hmm. of Eden. And right. I start experiencing some suffering, some hardships, some challenges, you know, on a, on an emotional level, on a physical level, because of the fatigue, you know, from journeying, uh, on a spiritual level as well as I'm, as I'm wrestling, you know, with how is this impacting my own, you know, Mormon identity and, uh, and those things, you know, uh, just continued to be the case. And, and then suddenly I end up, um, the only temple I actually, well, yeah, it, it, it's funny. I didn't go inside of any LDS temples, you know, but I did go inside the Kirtland temple, you know, community of Christ. And then I went inside a fundamentalist uh, temple. Um, and uh, anyways, by the time I got to the fundamentalist temple, um, you know, I was able to fully tour the inside of it. Uh, it hadn't been dedicated yet, still under construction. Um, it may have been dedicated by now. I'm not sure. I'll, I have to double check with the community. But, you know, my window for, for you know, visiting was was very, very brief. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever have an opportunity like that again. But, um, yeah, you know, I was able to go in the Celestial Room. I was able to go in the Holy of Holies. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I, I won't go into detail about uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, would take place, you know, that will be taking place in the Fundamentalist Temple. But, you know, it's, it's deeply important to them. And uh, it uh, has... Uh, some different roles today in the LDS community, you know, because the religious trajectories have been a bit different, but um, uh, still, um, like, there's, it, it felt like that was a culmination point to me, you know, that there, there's a kind of uh, sacredness, and, uh, and so I really appreciated that experience as I, as I reflected back on it, because um, it, it only, it took me several weeks to get to that point to Missouri, and then I drove home in like two and a half days. So it, like there was a portion that like that turning around point, I had a choice where I could have continued to just be on the road for another week, week and a half maybe, but I was just so tired. And I felt like, you know what I had, I felt the sense of closure, you know, that I had the experience I needed to have on this trip, you know, that like, I'm just going to keep going until I feel like it's time for me to go home. And once I felt that way, once I felt like, you know what, like, I've, I've done what I needed to do. I turned back and I went home. And um, yeah, so that, that kind of like temple type experience or, or this idea, it doesn't even have to be the temple, you know, but uh, uh, even just from, from scripture, you know, this, this exile from, from Eden, the, you know, the hardship, the separation from God, you know, stuff like that. And then finally um, that, uh, that eventual, uh, um, you know, restoration, that reunion you know, with the, with the savior that many of us are, are anticipating. Um, I don't know. It, it felt like in, in some ways a, a small scale uh, version of that. So it was, it was very meaningful to me. And uh, there's just so many emotions and, and spiritual uh, reflections that were wrapped up into it, that uh, it, it's hard to just, you know, water it down into, into any one thing um, yeah. because I, I, I felt just attacked and, and, 
and uh, and spoken to from so many different directions mm-hmm. <laughs> on the trip. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, but uh, yeah, so it was wonderful. Uh, I, I would love to do it again. Uh, maybe not with the same sites, you know, some of these, uh, I, I don't think I, I need to visit the Whitmer home uh, for a number of years, you know, <laughs> like some of these smaller uh, historical sites, there's not much going on there. Um, but uh, still, uh, it was wonderful. It was what I needed. And, uh, and I felt, uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel like it was uh, something that, that brought me closer to God, you know, and closer oh. to my father as well. Mm. Very good. Well, Jackson, I yeah. just want to thank you so much for taking us on your journey a little bit. We were able to get a taste of what you went through. And and uh, th- it really means a lot to me that you chose to come on my program first before everybody else. And, you know, since uh, everything's happened in your life a year and a half ago, and, and I'm glad you're able to just kind of tell your story. And it was really cool. Yeah. You're a really awesome dude. Well, thanks so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. I know I've been uh, uh, chatting for a while, but uh, uh, I really appreciate and value the work that you're doing and uh, and just look forward to the, the content that you generate and more of the conversations that you have uh, because uh, yeah you know I uh, from the first time we met you know uh, I think really quick off the bat you know we were able to say oh my gosh we have a lot in common we have a lot of shared interests we have a lot of shared goals um, and so I, I appreciate, uh, uh, you know, encountering and, and, uh, being able to be friends with a kindred spirit such as yourself. Amen to that. Well, folks, I want to hear in the comments, what do you think? And by the way, I'm going to have Jackson send me a bunch of links that we'll have in the description. <laughs> and, yep. uh, and so check those out. Uh, also just to remind you, uh, that, uh, we will have, uh, for those of you who'd like to financially support the show, we have links for PayPal, for Patreon, as well as our merch store, mormonbookreviews.com. And I uh, look forward to hearing from you all, you know, tell us. And also don't forget to enter in this month's uh, book drawing. And uh, I'll have the link to my email in the description as well. But the most important thing, folks, is just remember this. All the voices of the restoration will be heard here on Mormon Book Reviews.